Now, Sister Jane Larson is going to pass among you. Brother Jonas. And I want you to ask her the questions burning in your heart. And I am going to reach deep inside mine. Find an answer placed there by God. What can Brother Jonas do for you tonight, sir? How much longer do I have? Brother Nightingale, can you tell me the answer to our brother's question? You're in the voice of angels, Jane. My brother's worried how long he has to go. Praise me. And I say to you, it doesn't matter whether you got 10 years or 10 minutes. What matters is that you really live while you're alive. So when God's chariot arrives, you're ready to step on board. Yes, sir. When's it going to rain? This man's question is really important. Oh, boy. You want to know what every man, woman, and child in this tent wants to know? You want to know, when's it going to rain? Well, let me ask you this question. What is rain anyway? Is it the sweet nectar your crops are craving? Is it tears of joy? Or is it the rain that falls on every life? The dressing down for your boss. The harsh word from a loved one. The bank pounding on the door. So when you say to me, Jonas, when's it going to rain? Well, all I can say is, when's it going to stop? It is 7 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11. And this is the month of November in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970. The talker of this, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. It is uh, Monday. We are back here live. Live, live, live. Live. Today is what, the 10th? 10th of November? Yes, fantastic. the 10th of November. Here we are. All right, excellent. It is uh, 503-733-2970. I'd like to join us today. 503-733-2970. I'd like to get on board with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, musings, recipes, what have ye. Uh, it is uh, 503-733-2970. So we had a, a, a recap hour there from in September, but uh, we are back now live. So I was actually gone... I was gone part of last Wednesday, the day after the election, and then we were gone long, We were gone Thursday and Friday. And so there was really, we had no recap hour to play today because it would have been a recap of Friday, which was in turn just a rerun. So anyway, screw it. So we had a, uh, a recap there from September. But here we are, prepared and ready to provide you with brand new quality entertainment. It is 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at... RickEmerson.com, Rick at RickEmerson.com, Sarah at 970.am, Tim at 970.am, or Richie with a T at 970.am. Thank you for uh, coming along. All right, here's what's coming up today. We will talk to, uh, boy, it seems like it's been just a blink of an eye and yet also just an eternity since that election happened. Yes. It doesn't seem like that was just last Tuesday. I mean, yeah, I can't figure out. I mean, it either feels like it's Wednesday, the day after the election, and we're just sort of waking up and, you know, kind of burning it off right now. 
Or it feels like that election happened about a month and a half ago. I can't quite figure it out. In any event, what I do know is this. I know that we had the election last Tuesday, and I don't think we've talked to Lisa Desjardins. In fact, I know we haven't, because we didn't get a chance to talk to Lisa on Wednesday, and then I was gone Thursday and Friday, so... Anyway, so today we're going to talk to Lisa Desjardins. It's the first time since uh, election ought eight happened. Uh, CNN radio correspondent James Roop, also joining us from Los Angeles. Uh, Soledad O'Brien, of whom I'm a big fan. Can you drop the mono bed or the uh, the dream theater ever so slightly? Thank you. Um, so we'll talk to Soledad O'Brien today. She's going to be. She has a special coming up on Jonestown. I actually meant to start today's program with some Jonestown audio, and then I didn't do it. I. Uh, I didn't really get a chance to edit it down. And that Jim Jones, boy, he just, uh, he could just talk and talk and talk and talk and kill and talk and talk. So I'll try to get that cut down for maybe, uh, maybe tomorrow. Anyway, Soledad O'Brien is going to join us today. She's going to be doing a, uh, a CNN special event later on this week about Jim Jones and I believe the 30th anniversary, right? It was 1978? Yeah. yeah. So that's coming up later on. So we'll talk to a Soledad O'Brien today. Uh, today's top five. I have his top five here. Top five songs that would accompany the car chase sequence if my life were a movie. We'll be doing that later on today. Top five songs I would like to accompany the car chase scene in the movie of my life. Me, Rick Emerson. Uh, what else? Another installment of uh, the greatest songs ever made. Snuff Watch, Geek Watch, Bush Watch, uh, all of that. Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification today. They are vast and endless. Barack Obama and his wife have just arrived at the White House. They're getting a private tour. Other things going on at Gresham, mom is charged with leaving her baby home alone to go drinking. A Portland man is charged with driving drunk with a seven-year-old in his van. Three are shot outside of Salem nightclub. Coca-Cola may bottle water from the Willamette. Uh, this is every pet owner's nightmare. You take your dog in a plant, which is a horrible thing to have to do in the first place, and then the attendant takes the carrier out on the runway, opens it up, and the dog escapes. Uh. That's what happened out on the tarmac at PDX by an airline employee, and the dog has been found. Okay, there is a happy oh, ending. There is a happy ending. All right, okay. Because, you know, going into the... But, going... I mean, the thought process of opening up a kid. <laughs> of course, everyone says it's not their fault. It is somebody's fault. <laughs> there is always someone to blame. Uh, Circuit City, lots of bad economic news today. Stand by, it's getting worse. Circuit City files for bankruptcy. DHL Express will close all U.S. operations. The U.S. Postal Service will consider its first layoff in history. The government... Gives AIG another $150 billion bailout. Well, why not? Why not? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger says it's unfortunate that Prop 8 passed. And uh, President Bush leaves office more unpopular than Nixon. Well, I guess if you have to go out, you go out strong. Things can only get better. (laughs) Things can only get better. Oh, Jesus God Almighty. All right, well, in any event. I'm sorry, everybody's microphone seems to be incredibly attenuated, a word like that, attuned. No, it's because I think you've been gone for a few days. I think you've been gone because we, everything's we normal. I don't know, it's, it's my microphone actually, they all sound a little bit brighter today. I wonder if there's been a, yet another uh, adjusting of the processing. It doesn't sound Perhaps bad. it's all because we have more of a screen in our step. It's entirely people. possible. Uh, yeah. I think it's just that you haven't worn your headphones in three days. That could Five also days be in a row. No, we all sound exceptionally bright, tight, and out of sight today. All right. It is uh, 503-733-2970. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. Hello. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing well. Do I sound too loud? Am I too overwhelming? Are you doing all right? Just a little bit. 
No, not really. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's uh, no. It's uh, we sound fantastic. I was going to say right out of the gate, we sound wonderful today. Absolutely. All right. How are you today? I am doing fabulously. I had a fantastical weekend and. Everything is fan- like fantastic. Would you like to tell everybody how you stood at the edge of a waterfall? Yes, I, I I hiked yesterday and I stood on top of a waterfall. It was amazing and it was it was totally scary and freaky and it's so awesome. I went hiking um, at this place called La Terrelle Falls, which mm-hmm. is uh, right right up I eighty four, like twenty minutes. Went up there um, and hiked in the rain and mud and it was like slick and but it was it was really neat. So went to that yesterday. Um, went to a trivia night. Went to a one year old's birthday party. Uh, went to a wedding all day Saturday and proceeded to get completely schnockered. Oh, I know. I was there. Oh, yeah. No, we were all there. And, uh, yeah, started, yeah, went to a wedding at noon on a Saturday and started drinking at 12.01 along with everybody else. Didn't, ended up missing a show that I wanted to go to on Saturday. Oh, you have no, well, yeah, I was going to say you have no idea. You do have actually some ideas. Oh, I have plenty I, of ideas. So, wow. did, so does everybody that I think was at that wedding. Oh, dude, my wife was so, my wife was so unbelievably drunk. Uh, and I don't, you know, she won't mind me saying that because every, first of all, everybody it, was, it was a happy wedding day. Everybody there, everybody there was drunk. It was a Saturday afternoon, but I mean, it's a wedding. What do you And a wedding held inside a bar, by the way. So, I mean, you hold a wedding inside a bar and I think that, that happens. That's, that's what's going I happen. did start off with a glass of water. Kelsey and I were both like just drinking our ice waters like good girls. And finally we was like, ah, screw it. Is that how you're sort of justifying it to yourself? No, no, no. I had a glass of water before this. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. Start off with ice water and then, uh, Bloody Marys. Whose wedding was this again? Uh, Diana, Diana from, from downtown. downtown. Oh. Yeah. She got married over the weekend and, um, ugh, so. I mean, I wasn't even drinking, and I felt drunk by the end of the day just because everybody around me was consuming such massive amounts of alcohol. So, uh, all right, well, let's work a little backward here. So, so we had the election last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. We came in on Wednesday, and on Tuesday morning, last, last week, Tuesday morning, my voice was already starting to go a little bit south. And it wasn't because, you know, everybody wondered if I lost my voice because of the election night party. And that wasn't really... Now, it wasn't really why. I mean, that certainly exacerbated the situation. But it was just that I woke up Tuesday, and, you know, you can tell when you wake up and your voice is starting to go a little frayed. You know, I'm kind of on the other end of that now where it's, you know, I'm at about 85%. I think, by, you know, by tomorrow I'll be normal. But but on Tuesday morning I woke up and, you know, how are you, Rick? Oh, I'm fine. And you can, you, can, you can feel that your voice is being that kind of half-life away. And so then, of course, we went to uh, Grand Central on Tuesday. I mean, it was just a madhouse. I mean, it was just... I mean, it was, it was the best election coverage of all time. Oh, it really was. I mean, this or any other election, to this or any other country, it really was quite something. I mean, it was just, you know, I know everybody else... I know everybody else had all day Wednesday and Thursday and Friday to talk about it, but we haven't, so we, we're going to do a little bit of uh, recapping with Lisa, you know, just about her general thoughts on it, you know, because she was doing that coverage with Kira Phillips last, last night. For now, we will suffice to say that it was really just an amazing night, but for four hours... I mean, you were broadcasting, but I think Sarah and I especially were sort of circulating through the room mm-hmm. and just shouting to be heard above the din of uh, you know, the 500 drunken American voters. And so it really was fantastic. By the end of the night, um, my voice was just ashes. I mean, it was just gone, just being held together with just bailing wire and prayer. Mm-hmm. So then I got up Wednesday morning and I came to work. And last Wednesday, we did the first two hours of the show. And then around 1 o'clock, I just remember you and Sarah sort of politely but firmly instructing me that it was time to go home. It really just, was. Just telling you. I, I mean, it became unlistenable. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There was no even more the transmitter to be on. <laughs> it all started getting gross because I got to hear your insides ripping as you were talking. That's the worst thing you've ever said. I mean, we might as well run a test in the emergency broadcast system in Salem. That would have been more listenable. Than right. so, I, I am the new EAS alert. Yes. Uh, um, so I went home Wednesday, and then, you know, on Thursday I woke up, and, you know, Laura came in, and she's like, hey, are you going to work today? And I said, I don't, 
No. Uh, and so that we had a best of Thursday, and that I was still kind of not whole by Friday, and you were actually gone. At yes, I, le- I left for Vegas. And you guys left me alone with Timmy Ryan. Which was quite something, I imagine. So uh, it, was, it wasn't as bad as, yeah, it wasn't that bad. He's coming around. He's yeah. finally, he's he's finally become a man here on AM 970. Has it? Uh, no, uh, uh, All right, okay. Yeah. Well, in any event. Um, so that was that was Friday. So we took Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at least partially off. So Friday night, you know, because I'm an idiot, uh, I just, you know, well, um, what shall I do Friday night? Shall I stay at home? Shall I retire early? Shall I drink soothing teas and liquids of all varieties? Perhaps put my feet up, take two aspirin, get plenty of rest? No, I'll go see Army of Darkness with a room full of drunken maniacs and scream along with every Bruce Campbell line all night. So there I am Friday night at the Baghdad for Court and Fatboy's Midnight Movie. And, it, it, you know, a sensible person would have been home kind of relaxing his voice and just trying to make himself uh, completely healthy again in a vocal sense. There I am in a theater shouting at the top of my lungs like, you know, hail to the king, baby. Uh, and so then I woke up Saturday. I, I wake up Saturday, and, of course, my voice is no better. So what do I then do? I then go to a wedding Saturday at noon at a bar, which is just filled... This sort of seems to be, this is sort of the late motif of my life. I was just going to say in a bar filled with drunken maniacs. That's the third time, I think, inside of four days that I was in some sort of small enclosed space with a bunch of people who have just been drinking grain alcohol all day, which was fantastic, by the way. So we go. That, really, that was one of the, the funnest days I've had in a long time. That wedding was it was something else. It uh, was amazing. Everyone's rolling their you know d20s and we're all like drinking whiskey shots and chain smoking and stuff. It was just awesome. What's a d20? Uh, it's a Dungeons and Dragons die. A multi-sided die. So on Saturday we went to um, we went to the Horse Brass, which is in beautiful Southeast Portland, where Diana uh, got married. And so just a, just a cast of thousands. But so Diana and uh, and her beau Prime. Uh, Aaron, uh, alias Prime, were up there uh, becoming betrothed, and I don't even I don't even know what else to say that about was the it. Sound of Tim Riley rolling a G20. Which were those were in the wedding gift bag, by the way. If you got your got the, the wedding gift bag had a 20-sided die, it had a thing like one of the bubble blowing things, and then and then something else. Oh, those bubbles were fun too. But the wedding was, I would say, over by about 12:15. You know, weddings are all kind of the same, where it's a huge buildup for like six months. Where you get the invitations and the cards, and they're registered, and then there's a, a a bridal shower, and then there's a bachelor party, and then you show up, and then the actual wedding is like 90 seconds long. I mean, the wedding is always just over in a blink of an eye. And Clyde, can we just make mention of how beautiful Clyde's speech was? Clyde did the service. Uh, Clyde actually performed the ceremony. He got some like back of Rolling Stone magazine, like $25 Doctor of Divinity degree or something. So Clyde performed the ceremony. And then there was the uh, the obligatory lightsaber, uh, uh, you know, uh, honor guard or whatever afterward. And then everybody just began drinking. And I got to tell you, it, it was one of those things where a couple of phrases that I heard throughout the afternoon at Diana's wedding. I heard Kelsey say, oh, my God, it's still light outside. Why am I this drunk? <laughs> As Lara and I were she leaving. Me, and poor girl, she got lo- roped in because she called me innocently enough to go to breakfast that morning. I'm like, no, but you can come to a wedding with me. And then flash forward four hours later. At around 3.30, uh, Lara and I finally, I just had to get out of there because I was just inhaling all of the smoke in the bar and having a great time. But my voice was just, it was just in tatters. So at around 3.30, Lara and I, you know, we say goodbyes and we kind of work the room and then we leave. And we head outside and Lara was, I don't mean to make my wife sound like a lush, but what are you going to do? 
Uh, so we're on the way to the car, and she's, of course, having great difficulty putting one foot in front of the other with anything, like, rem- remotely resembling stability. And she kept saying, do you ever know drunk people who latch onto one phrase, and they keep saying it over and over and over again throughout the day or night because they, they forget that they just said it to you? So as we're driving home, Lara just keeps doing this thing of every time we stop at a red light, every time we stop at a stop sign, Lara looks out the car window, and she goes, see all those people out there? You know, they're sober. I'm drunk. Everybody around me is sober. I'm drunk. Look at that guy at the bus stop. I'm drunk, but he's sober. And then we went home, and then we, you know, I, we got home at around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I, I put Lara to bed, and I'm like, you got to take a nap, because we, of course, had a dinner to go to Saturday night. So... Lara wow, to, she's a trooper. Jesus. She went to bed at 4. She got up at around 6.30 to get ready for dinner, still drunk. Got to dinner, still drunk. Made it all the way through dinner, where she drank more. And then uh, and then went home and just sort of collapsed into a heap. I don't even remember what I did yesterday. Oh, oh God. Did... And then last night, we went to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra show. That's the other thing. They were in town? Yeah, they were at the Rose Garden. So last night... I went to Trans-Siberian Orchestra of them, you know, which was a fantastic show. It was unbelievable. I mean, for your 40 bucks, they go all out of it. It was one of the most spectacular rock shows of any kind I've ever seen. But, of course, so there I am again last night. Am I taking good care of my voice? No, I'm going, you know, woo, Carol of the Bells, woo, and just inhaling, like, you know, that, like, weird stage smoke that they have and, you know, whatever it is they use to make the snow that falls on the crowd halfway through. Jesus, God Almighty. So that was my weekend. So, uh... If, it, if at any point you should actually just hear my larynx burst into flames during today's program, it's because I actually spent my, what, half of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I, I spent my four and a half days taking the worst care of my voice that I possibly could have. Seriously, it's like spend all day at a smoky bar and then scream at a concert all night. Good job, Rick. Yeah, that's what I do. Uh, all right. Did you see Kelsey and I in our lightsaber duel? No. Well, I no. No, I didn't see that. Oh, I just saw the li- I just saw the lightsaber sort of procession at the wedding. That was really neat. It really was. It was so congratulations to uh to uh Aaron and, and Diane. It was uh it was quite a wedding. It really was it really was something exceptional. Uh how was uh Las Vegas, Tim Riley? It was fantastic. How was the Madonna show? Fabulous. Awesome. You know, she has the best performer anywhere. Now, see, I thought, now, you were you were a little worried, though, that with the, with the, uh, the divorce that she was going to call it off, that there was going to be personal drama that was going to result Not in... Not at all. It even made it a better... I don't think it affected her in the least. <laughs> she, she's already washed her hands. She's washed that man right out of her hair. I mean, she had the more, more than the usual spring in her step. <laughs> well, that's because she's... Uh... I mean, nobody can put on a show like she can. Well, so you... Sing, dance, play musical instruments. She did take out a couple... She took out the, uh, the John McCann and Sarah Palin... Uh, video things from the show that were in the earlier ones. They, they went up. They, there were a couple of quick shots of Barack Obama, and the crowd went wild every, so, every time he was shown. So she has updated her stage show. She has updated her stage, but it's fantastic. I really, I was afraid that you were going to forfeit like your nine hundred dollar ticket or whatever it is you bought that you were going to get there. Madonna wishes to express her you know, oh, regret no. that the tonight's performance has been canceled. I mean, I've done that before, where you travel and you go to a show and you get up at the door and there's just like the crudely drawn, handwritten sign. You know, so sorry, ACDC will not be performing tonight. The place was packed. I mean, it was sold out. She, she's, it was probably sold out Sunday night, too. I saw the Saturday night show. And nobody can pack in a house as big as she can. And she's 50 years old. She can sing and dance like nobody else. She's a living legend. And she has lots of costume changes and stuff. Yeah, and she retooled, uh, she retooled a lot of her old songs, too. Now, I was going to ask, now, when you go to see, because I've missed her, like, three different times. Several times I've tried to see Madonna, and something has always come out. I've never been able to do it. Now, does she play some, she plays some stuff that you didn't expect? Or did she omit some things that you thought she was going to play? Were there any surprises in the set list? 
The, the only su- surprise were the choreography. I mean, the last show you thought was the best it could be. This right. one was even twice as good. I'm... I mean, she just doesn't sit around. She improves on what she does every time. Well, she really is sort of like a solo female version of Kiss, where every time she realizes she's got to top whatever it is that she did last time. So, but I mean, no, I, I guess the uh, the breakup of her marriage really didn't affect. <laughs> she she seemed to be dancing around more than ever. <laughs> didn't miss a step. <laughs> and, and I also the the day before the concert, I followed on your recommendations. What did you... Oh, the Museum of Atomic Testing. How badass was this? It was badass. I'm glad I went. All right. No, seriously, the next is time... Is this the one they're closing? If... Uh, no, no, no. This is uh, this is staying open. No, if anybody... If you ever go to Las Vegas, you really got to go. It's on East Flamingo Road. You must go to the Atomic Testing Museum. It's 12 bucks worth every penny. It is one of the best museums I've ever been to. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad it's you went. It's interactive. You... It's terrific. And then when I came home yesterday afternoon, I went over to, uh, to Macy's. Mm-hmm. And I, I was on the, is it possible to meet uh, Clinton Kelly? Oh, that's the uh, what not to wear guy. And it was, and I met him. <laughs> Tim, what does it say? All my best. That's wonderful. You have Clinton Kelly's autograph yes. sealed inside an envelope where it can't For be harmed. I never thought that I would meet Clinton Kelly of what not to wear. But he was he was in Beaverton yesterday. Oh, cool. Now I have to tell you, now I would say that he's uh, he's a stylish and attractive man. Now is that a lot of now is that television trickery or does he look that good in person? He looks that good in person. Well, he, and he he's funnier in person too. Ellie is the one not to wear guy. I guess I would be I, I guess I would be surprised if he didn't look good. So he's peddling his new book, and they do have it at Powell's, and I did put a link to it on my uh, website today. Well, we've all had we've all had quite a few days. Yes. Yeah, we all did have quite the so weekend. So let's recap. So Tim went to Vegas. You saw Madonna. You saw the Museum of Atomic Testing. You met Clinton Kelly from What Not to Wear at Macy's yesterday. You got his autograph. Yes. Sarah went to a wedding, got drunk at one in the afternoon, stood underneath a, a waterfall. Party, yeah. Went uh, went to a one-year-old's birthday party. Hey, birthday went party. Two waterfalls for a one-year-old. Um, I uh, went to Army of Darkness. Went to the same wedding. And then went to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra last night, and uh, at no point did I rest my voice in any way. So, all right, wonderful. I have other stuff to get to, but we've already consumed just in time. You don't even know the oh, amount of notes. Vegas yesterday. Did it? Yeah, I was really surprised. It was cloudy. And they had this van outside trying to recruit people to learn skydiving in the rain. <laughs> so a, a whole bunch of Japanese people who apparently didn't understand what this van was about hopped in. So they are learning to skydive. And thunder and lightning is Vegas. Do you suppose they thought it was a trip to the... Do you suppose they really knew Going what skydiving was? Yeah. No, no, no. All the, sky. Yeah. Airport, <laughs> airport shuttle. All of a sudden, they, they have parachutes strapped onto That's them, and they're wonderful. being pushed out of planes. Is this uh, This is shuttle to Tokyo Air? Fantastic. Next thing you know, you immediately cut to some Japanese tourist being thrown out of a plane at 30,000 feet. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And Excellent. I think the trot, which is classic Las Vegas. It is. It is indeed. All right. Um, well, I don't have any... I, we'll get some phone calls here, and then we'll break. We'll come back with Lisa Desjardins. I don't really have time to get to anything else here. Um, except to say this. This is my one small observation from the news this weekend. Uh, I don't know if you've actually pulled this story, Tim, to talk about it sort of a, more in depth later. Did you see that the transgendered guy uh, was elected mayor of Silverton, Oregon? Yeah, I thought he was already mayor. Now, he was mayor once uh, a while back, but yeah. I think that's before his uh, gender reassignment surgery. Uh, because I think before he was just a transvestite. Now he's got the full-on implants and everything. 
So uh, his yeah, name. Yeah, he was a well-known. He's a well-known person in that town. He really is. Now Silverton is my. I have to tell you this. Uh, I don't want to flood it with tourists with the power of my voice. But Silverton, Oregon, is actually that's my favorite town. That is my favorite town in Oregon. It really is. It's it's quite something. It is the closest we've got to a Stars Hollow here in Oregon. But so Stu Rasmussen is the guy, and he's kind of a fixture around there. And he is actually the ticket taker at the Silverton Theater. When you go to the, you know, the one with the real butter, you go to the, uh, you go to the Silverton Theater. One screen, one movie at a time, one week at a time. That's it. That's all they have there. And he stands at the front and tears your ticket and says, "Thank you so much. Have a great. Get some popcorn. Enjoy the show." And now he's the mayor and he's transgendered. And the great thing about it is, that like nobody even made an issue of it. That's the really cool thing about it is because it's just like a known thing. I mean, uh-huh. he's just, you know, he's the he's the transgender ticket taker. What are you gonna do? So he ran for mayor and it wasn't even an issue. Like it was a total policy election, a policy debate. And he won by, I think, a pretty sizable margin. So, I love that phrase, transgendered, transgendered ticket taker. Uh, he's, re- he's, he's quite something. And so there was that small piece of news, which then reminded me of this. This is the only observation I'm going to make about this. Then we'll do these calls, then we'll break. Have you noticed this? We've all forgotten about the uh, the man that was pregnant. We've Ew. all forgotten about the pregnant guy. We I tried we all to. Moved on. Yeah, it's, it was just kind of creepy. Pregnant guy is the new Chris Crocker. We've just completely forgotten all about him. You know why I remember the pregnant guy even existed? Because he's written a book that no one will buy. Yeah. I was at the bookstore the other day. Written a book. All right, we'll Rick, move. can I tell you that I'm really sad, though? Because today they're, they're playing Repo Genetic Opera for one night. And it's tonight, and the tickets sold out in like a day. Well, you can probably find some of those. I'm trying. I can't find them anywhere, and I'm so bummed out because I've posted like every single link that I've ever found on it, and then it's just like, okay, great, I'm screwed. Because somebody, I guess, like Aaron was telling me, like some band of like, like snobby drama geeks bought all the tickets up so that nobody else could get them. I, uh, you know, I bet if you used your considerable uh, clout and influence, you could get. I'm, a, you know, I am just that desperate enough because I can't not, I can't live another day without seeing Paris Hilton dance around like cutting people open. There you go. The word is out. All right. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Oh, hey, uh, Rick. Yo. Uh, uh, Tom, Sarah, uh, man, Tim, Sarah, it's been a long morning, I apologize. I was actually calling to... A long morning of drinking. Um, no. Okay. Um, I was actually calling to say that, uh, Repo was playing tonight at Clinton Street. (gasps) You were? Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it was sold out already. That kind of surprised me. Well, thanks for rubbing it in, sir. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Yes, and? Uh, That was it. All right. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. All right. One more, then we got a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, Morning of Boozing does everybody well. Yes, yes, it does. uh, Yeah, I saw you at uh, Army of Darkness on Friday night, and uh, it's funny because I've met Court and Fatboy several times, and I walked over to Court and started talking to him, and I saw you there. And the first thing that came out of my mouth, I looked at you and I said, that's Rick Emerson. You were sitting there talking to Court and Fatboy, or Court and Chris Paddock. Yes. So I had this little uh, starstruck moment with you. Well, thank you. It's uh, not not to compare myself to him in any way, but that's like the time I met I met uh, Ving Rhames, and the only thing I said to him, I go, "You're Ving Rhames," and he just looked at me, and goes, "Uh huh, yeah." Then he walked off. So so don't feel bad, sir. I uh, almost expect you to be this larger than life uh, figure, but there you are. You know, just a normal guy wearing a black t-shirt and jeans. Well, I uh, next time I'll have to hire a more attractive stunt double. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for coming out here. All right. Thank you, my friend. Special ever. All right. There you go. We'll take a break. Back after this. Uh, Lisa Desjardins around the corner. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth and More Staters. All right. Why? Hello. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Ladies and germs, let's now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show. 
from the Hill for the first time since uh, election ought eight. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hello. How you doing? I am great. Hey, how are you doing? I'm, no, 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 no. How are you doing? <laughs> how are you doing? No, no, no. How are you? Uh, well, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll take it and run with it. I'm doing great. All right, excellent. Me as well. Um, so how? So, uh, now I don't know if you were on. Uh, we did about half of Wednesday's show, and then my voice was sort of just reduced to a, a burnt-out cinder. And so we were gone Thursday and Friday. So I, I don't know if you were on, if you were on, or if you were on vacation, or if you, you know, if you were resting up or whatever. But no, I, mean, I was, I was working. I was at the Capitol. So this is actually the first time we've spoken though since yeah. Tuesday night. So first of all, congratulations to you and uh, and to Kira Phillips. You guys really, uh, you did a fantastic job anchoring the CNN radio long form coverage of the election. It was really hey, quite something. Hey, well, thanks. You, you know, I've got. You know, uh, remorse. I don't know. I, I, I hope so. I'm starting to feel better about it. So no, the, thank you. And we'll see. But then this is the. But this is your. Uh, no offense. This is your Catholic thing, though. It's pro- very, very probably. Yeah. Where you are just constantly. It's like you were filled with some sort of, uh, some sort of weird original sin. Yes. You yeah. know, but some sort of like radio equivalence to that. Like somehow, uh, no matter how flawlessly you performed, you cannot allow yourself to believe that you actually did a good job when in fact you were stellar. Hey, well, th- th- you know, not to try and make the listeners puke, but you also were great. And I- oh no, now you come on now. Yeah, it was it was really good stuff. It, uh, it was yeah. And so since this is actually this is actually our first full live show since election night, because we were so we were gone most of Wednesday, Thursday, wow. and Friday. So which is very very much unlike us. Uh, but it was sort of a, uh, an Aristotelian confluence of event that re- of events that resulted in us being gone for a couple of days. So I will say that for those who who maybe didn't get a chance to hear it, so on Tuesday night. A, you and Kira Phillips were doing the election coverage here on the station. And then also, you know, of course, uh, Tim Riley and Sarah and myself were broadcasting live from Grand Central, which is this uh, great venue here uh, in Portland. And as part of that, Tim and I actually did. It was sort of, it was weird. It was like a through the looking glass kind of a thing. Because Tim and I did kind of a live shot with you and Kira. Right. And it was, it was sort of strange, i got to say, to be on the receiving end of that, to be the one who was sort of the, the guy popping on to do the five-minute guest uh, spot. It was a little strange. <laughs> it was very weird being you and being the, like, hey, Rick, and to, to start things off. Yeah, I think it was it was a Freaky Friday kind of radio experience for us both. And then I was, you know, trying to – and then I realized exactly how, in many ways, this show has just uh, – it, it is – this show has stunted or atrophied all of my keep-it-short muscles. <laughs> Because you know I got four hours a day to feed, and I got twenty hours a week. I got I got to fill up with stuff. And so you and Kira would ask me some question about like, hey, what's the mood in Portland? And rather than just saying like, great, exuberant, wonderful, hopeful, enthusiastic, optimistic, I would say, well, it's funny you ask me that. Let me give a response in twelve <laughs> parts. Uh, you know, and then of course it is realizing that I was just putting everybody into a stupor across the country with my long sort of uh, confabulations and observations about the evening. It, I I think it was great that it was good stuff because I don't know if you heard we also had a very um, kind of an outwardly now you're you're not trying to be conservative or liberal but I think just by nature of being of representing Portland Oregon we put you more on the liberal end of the scale which I think is probably right compared to we had uh, some conservative uh, guy named Michael Graham out of uh, Philadelphia I think he was I think um, before you and so it was a great it was a great balance actually it was really really very fun can I just tell you this and and the folks who listened on Wednesday actually heard the story already so I'll keep it brief and then I'm going to ask you um you know because basically because because the show because this this segment here is just it for my own amusement if everybody else finds it finds it fascinating then that's a bonus but because I haven't talked to you since last Tuesday I'm going to ask some questions that I want to ask and hey, great, ho- great. hopefully everybody else isn't sick to the teeth of it um two things one there was the best story 
that we heard Wednesday that happened to Sarah on Tuesday night. So we're at this we're at this event. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of people. I mean, it was just jam packed. I mean, you couldn't have gotten another person in there with a with a, with a plunger. It was just unbelievable. And so we're there, and obviously, you know, Portland is a very, uh, you know, very blue-leading town in many ways. But by the same token, that is, of course, uh, you know, but that, but that's not an across-the-board thing. You know, we, in the days leading up to the election, we're doing, you know, an exit poll every day of asking people, if you voted for president, you know, who, who got your vote? And i got to tell you, it was, you know, running around about 60-40 uh, Barack Obama, which is a lot closer than I think we anticipated it being. So, anyway, that that is all a preamble to this story. So, Tuesday night... Uh, the election happens. They call it for Obama. You know, there's a lot of lot of jubilation, and you know, and everybody's just sort of you know, reveling in the moment, and just sort of taking in the historic nature of the night. And I'll probably get a little details of this story wrong, but Sarah goes up to the bar, and there was a guy there who I guess was a listener who recognized her, and he said, "Hey, are you are you Sarah Dillon?" And she goes, "Yeah." And he goes, "Oh, I'm you know, I'm John. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm a listener, love the show or whatever." And she says, oh, "That's great." And Sarah says, "How's your night going?" And the guy says. Well, not too good. I voted for McCain. And then, then there's just the greatest little series of moments. The guy says, well, my evening's not going too well. I voted for McCain. And then Sarah says, um, I will edit this for the air, but, uh, but Sarah responded with a two-word crudity with a smile on her face. <laughs> She responded with a with a with a two word uh, a two word uh, obscenity while smiling, but then kisses him on the cheek and says, "Better luck next time." And then they sat down and drank together. Which is, oh, that which, is great! It's like the most American thing ever, and I I had the same uh, I had the same response from somebody else when I told him this story over the weekend. Of all of the election moments, as dumb as it sounds, that's the only one that very nearly brought me to tears because it's just such a great, wonderful little moment, right? Yeah, you know? that's great. That is good American stuff. It I really mean. was. It was like, you know, I voted for McCain. Sucks to be you. Let's drink, you know? And, I mean, it was just, that is, to, not to, you know, I don't know, not to be corny about it, but, I mean, you know, one can one can sometimes feel that our divide in this country and the you know, divisions are intractable, uh, intractable and irrevocable. And you know, a moment like that really does a, goes a long way to restoring your faith. You know? Hey, I, yeah, I like hearing that a lot. It was yeah, it was it was ridiculous. The Obama people, uh, you know, whether they intended to or not, were definitely sticking it to the McCain people for like the next even up until now. But there there were women literally just. Singing, you know, just guests in our hotel lobby oh, yeah. were just singing up until noon, 1 p.m. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it was pretty, pretty awesome to see. You know, we left the event here in Portland, and there were, uh, no lie, there were hippies and cops high-fiving in the street. Tim Riley was, uh, it was walking to his car, and he's terrified of Southeast Portland anyway. But he was walking to his car, and on at least one occasion, and I believe two occasions, was just approached by a total stranger who then hugged him and walked away. Oh, so my was, goodness. Oh, was. my goodness. Of course, I mean, I did have a little bit of disappointment because if McCain could have won, that would have been the most ridiculous comeback story of all time. And, as you have said, the Democratic Party. Not that I personally wanted this, but it just would have been so such a ridiculous uh, loss for them that it, it almost would have been stupefying. Oh, i got to tell you, I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. There, you know... It, there are always, of course, the two warring aspects of my personality. And, you know, and, and to clarify something you asked me earlier, you know, I'm not I'm not a Democrat any more than I'm a Republican, but I am on most issues a big bleeding heart. I mean, there's no you know, it's not a secret. Everybody knows that. Um, 
but there are always these, you know, these two facets of my of my personality that are in conflict. You know, and there's the, there's the big bleeding heart part of me that wants things to go a certain way. And then there's the part of me that goes, well, this would be fantastic if McCain won. This would be the most compelling story. This would be the most, you know, because it would have been just, it would have been unbelievable. Just the drama of it, had McCain pulled it out, would have been off the charts. Yeah. I mean, it would have just been... It would have been a staggering comeback. Vice President Palin. Well, but see, then I got show material, though. Sarah Palin would have at least given me some risk. It would have been, it could have, uh, yeah. It was a win-win for me. It really was. Um, So let's just do a couple big, broad questions here. You you tell me when you got a skedaddle, because I I don't know. Um, To whatever extent you can speak to this, uh, is there any candidate who could have beaten Barack Obama this year? Ooh, is there any? Uh, I mean, of the, of the crop that we had in the primaries, no. could, could anybody have beaten Obama? No, not of the ones who were running. I don't think any of them could have beaten him. I think uh, it could have been maybe you know like a, a Michael Bloomberg might have might have had a shot at it, maybe. Uh, and I, I think Giuliani actually could have had a shot, except he he completely messed up his own campaign for the nomination. Right. right. Yeah, but 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 I, that's a tougher question. I don't know Giuliani Giuliani in the long run. I I don't know, but I think. He, he might possibly, I don't know. And then, of course, Romney with the economy, maybe. I, I think McCain-Romney would have been stronger than McCain-Palin in the end, but I still, I, I don't think any of those guys, I, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put money on any of them versus Obama. Uh, we have a, a listener who actually says, Rick, now the election is over, and since you talk with real media people, and I do not, can you ask one of them what the poll helped draw worth or effectiveness of Obama's infomercial was? Was it a waste of money? Did it have any value uh, what does Lisa think on this? So that's a good question, actually. Yeah. There's so much made of that, I don't know, $5 million media buyer, whatever, to get that infomercial. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, did it make any difference, do you think? You know, it depends on how you look at it. And I and hate, it sounds like a, a, a slick spin answer, but I, I think this is the only way to answer it, is that uh, if you're a Republican, you're going to say it made no difference at all, because we truly did not see an increase in the polls from the from that commercial. But... What the Obama campaign was trying to do uh, was to kind of, see, you know, seal in air talk, air, air talk light, airlock tight um, all of their voters, and 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 they didn't lose any voters at that point. Which, considering uh, there were some very serious late hits on the Obama campaign that weekend, we, I don't know if you all had, but the Reverend Jeremiah Wright commercial was playing in tons of battleground states, and I think what the Obama campaign was trying to do was to seal in their voters, and I think they I think they did that with that ad but did, how did they need to do that did that how I, we'll never know we don't know uh and so i guess i, I don't even know where, where to begin and they definitely that. had the money they still they still have money and in fact the uh we're, we're going to find out hopefully soon actually we should find out maybe not till the end of the month how much money is still on hand for the obama campaign uh but all of that money uh however many millions they have left over we'll see if it's millions but it, it could be uh will go to his reelection campaign if he wants it to were you surprised that the that the election seemed logistically seemed to go as smooth as it as it did i mean i didn't really hear about any yeah. i mean the sort of the chaos and discord that i always pull for did failed to materialize this this is what uh this is a beauty of someone winning by more than two or three points that is why uh, and i do think in general there there really wasn't um a great deal of problems but if if it had been close again in ohio you know if it had been close again in florida or even virginia pennsylvania if any of those states had been close 
uh, I think we would have heard about some, we, there would have been lawsuits. And in fact, the John McCain campaign on election day was threatening a lawsuit in Virginia uh, and, and getting ready to, to throw one down in case that state was closed and in case Virginia made the difference. But, but this is what happens when you have kind of a, kind of a blowout election or a semi-blowout, depending on how you want to define things, that uh, nobody cares. Because um, it, it was so clearly over. You know, my, my wife made this observation. Uh, this is just her take on this. She said that she was watching some of the coverage on CNN this weekend about uh, Obama's initial sort of observations about the economy and things that need to be done to sort of address some of these problems. And she said that under the last couple of years of George, George W. Bush, that it was sort of like... We knew these problems were there, but we all agreed not to talk about them. It was like we were so much, it was like, you know, having the, it's being in denial about the family alcoholic. Right. And, and now that Obama's been elected, it's like we all sort of have had this, okay, we are actually going to have to, like, fix some of these things. So my question to you is, from your vantage point, what kind of a grace period does Obama get before people are going to start really piling on about, like, look, you got to fix our, our broken freaking country? And is that grace period shortened by the fact that he's so already in the media eye talking about solutions? I think it is. And I think, I think, um, he, he's trying, I think, to buy himself a little more time. He moved very quickly on chief of staff, looks like press secretary, some big decisions. He's, he's got his team in place because the transition, his transition team has been working for weeks. Um, but he, he last week said, I'm not going to announce cabinet secretaries, uh, now. And then he kind of said in the coming weeks, trying, trying to say to people, hey, calm down. There was talk in the media that we might have a couple cabinet secretaries named by now, maybe even last week. And, uh, Obama himself has been trying to, uh, kind of tamper that down and say, uh, no, let's wait. And we're now getting the word from his campaign. No, none of those announcements this week. But I think that they're very aware that the expectation on them is to move quickly. Even this meeting right now between, uh, President-elect Obama and President Bush is much earlier than any those kinds of meetings happen. Usually they happen, uh, much closer to the actual inaugural so everything is happening on a much faster timeline. I think that's because that's the way Barack Obama runs things on his side, but it's also on the White House side because there are so many issues right now, and the fact is that um, they've got to get uh, Barack Obama sort of ready to take over the reins because it's it's kind of a, a, a you know a runaway cart. It's well, a rolling start. It's a rolling yeah. start, exactly. But I, I think he does have a big grace period at least until he's elected. You're going to hear him say again and again, "We only have one president at a right, time," right. and and so I think until the election, um, watch his numbers to go up. And in fact, we just we have a poll coming out. Uh, in about an hour that shows, uh, you know, 52% of Americans voted for Barack Obama in the end of voters. But our polling is showing that right now when you ask, is he doing a good job so far, you know, in, in the six days that he's been president-elect, I mean, the, nu- the number is just astronomical. It's, you know, over 66%, upwards of 70%, depending on how you ask the question, of Americans saying that they like what, a Barack, o- what Barack Obama is doing so far. Now, January, that's going to change. January, February is really... He's probably got until March, I think, to, to really get something Well, you've got to start producing at some point. Yeah, so, yeah. Hey, just as a final note here as we wrap this up, just to, to balance that out, my wife, of course, is, is from Utah and, and lived in Utah for a long time. She was talking to a friend of hers who still lives and works in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the friend told her that actually many, many, many people at her workplace just called in sick on Wednesday, could not even bring themselves to get out of bed or come really? to work because they were so stricken slash fearful. Uh, you know, because Barack Obama had been elected, and they were just uh, they they were they were just afraid that the implosion of our uh, of our society was nigh. So, well, 
Jason was joking because, you know, we go to an African-American church, and I was so excited on Sunday. I'm like, man, our church is going to be crazy today. Everyone is going to be so psyched at our church. And and he said, yeah, but Lisa, he was giving me a drum. He's like, you know, I can't believe you're, you're not thinking of all the people who are hurting, all of the very small, militant, racist churches in the South that are really having a hard time today. Can I just tell you, and this, okay, this, I swear to God, is my last thought. The, it, I sorry, was, South, I, it's, yeah, it's, I say it because, you know, stereotypes are true. So. Uh, well, I was going to say, actually, on Tuesday night when the election coverage was uh, done and, and we were done with our event and I went home and uh, I shared a last I shared a last night with Anderson Cooper. I went home and I, I watched uh, CNN until like 2.30 in the morning. Just to get Latin, you know, just to just to right. just to you know get a final dose of David Gergen uh, before I try to wean myself off of it. But the the one thing I told my wife is my one real regret out of this whole election cycle. I was making a list of all of my dead racist relatives that, that I was wishing were still alive. You know, there was a oh, no really. I mean, there was a you know. Just a just a whole list of people in my family that were just just bigots and bastards, and I was just hoping, I was just wishing for one moment that they were all still alive, just to sort of be traumatized by the whole night. So, you know what can you do? So, all right. On that note, uh, uh, good to talk to you again. We'll catch Great up. Are talking you on, to you. Are, Outstanding. Are you on tomorrow? Yes, I'm here all week. All right, we'll talk to you then. Thanks, Lisa. Great. All right, there you go, Lisa Desjardins. It's been forever. Did you see that Richie just walked in and gave me half an avocado? Yes. Well, Such a nice boy. You know what it is? It's because this is like a, it's because you were giving him that cheese the other day. Because you, this is because you gave him the brick of cheese under the auspices that it was somehow a diet or health food. That's why he's giving you the avocado. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. There you go. Oh, you think, <laughs> I know. It's just too good. Made out of fat. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Hello, Tim Riley. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. I'm looking at this historic picture from the White House. Hey, look at that. The President, and Mrs. Bush, and is quite and is, Barack and Michelle Obama, and is quite wonderful. The front steps of the White House, man, and, and you know, I, I got to tell you, and then I know that everybody else is. A, I will say this: that obviously, uh, new president, new administration, lots of stuff happening. So it's it's not like we're not going to talk about it. We are, uh, you know. But by the same token, I also recognize that you and I and Sarah and all of us are like four days behind everybody else. Because everybody else talked about it all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, all day Friday, and we didn't. So I know that you know the rest of the country is probably incrementally more sick of the whole thing by now than we are and ready to move on. So we'll talk about it a bit, you know, and we'll sort of weave it through as time goes on. Um, I will actually say, and I told Sarah this, I went to this wedding on Saturday, and at one point I had to duck out and go to like a, go to a convenience store. And this is a totally true story. It sounds made up, but I went to the convenience store down the street, and I was like, uh, I, know, I was in the aisle just like getting, getting whatever I was getting, and uh, and a woman came in. To, to buy cigarettes or something. And the guy behind the counter who's selling her the cigarettes is making small talk. And he goes, hey, how are you today? And she goes, Barack Obama's president. I'm wonderful. And then she's like, paid for the cigarettes and left. And clearly they didn't know each other. It was just sort of this sentiment that is, uh, I think, still very much in the air. So good times, my friends. All right, let's take a break. Come back after this. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Proof. Later on, Soledad O'Brien. Right. I'm already getting requests for uh, other hot CNN news babes that we can book on the show. Several requests for Amy Holmes. Well, Soledad's really beautiful. She really, she's truly beautiful. Uh, and she's talking about mass murder. So, I mean, it's like... It's, it's like the best of both worlds. It really is. It's the confluence of all the things that are good about this republic of ours. All right, back after this, Tim Riley. Here's Meatloaf. Hello. It's 
It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy. All right. It's 503-733-2970. There you go. I'm so glad we were able to talk to Lisa today. I mean, it was just like a, like a whole build-up of like three and a half, four, five days of political discussions. Wasn't able to... Uh, wasn't able to do anything about it. She was terrific with Kira Phillips. They ought to team them up again. She was, uh, you know, she was she was really good. And I don't mean that, you know, I'm not talking behind her back. She said it on the air. But, I mean, she. I talked to Lisa uh, a little bit. I think it was late that night. I don't know if I told this story or not. I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't suppose she'd mind none. Uh, but I sent Lisa Desjardins an email late Tuesday night at, like, I don't know, 1.30 in the morning, our time. And I said, hey, great job tonight, you know. And I, I emailed everybody at CNN. I was like, hey, thanks so much for, you know, we were glad to be part of it. You guys were really great. And then I emailed Lisa specifically, and I said, you and Kira did a really good job. Well done. Tim and I were, you know, honored to be part of your broadcast. And so Lisa emails me back. This is what's so great and lame about her. She emails me back like four minutes later, which I guess would have been like 4.30 in the morning there, Tana. She's still awake. And she emails me back. She's like, oh, I don't know. I don't think I did very well. And, you know, and she's got that, like, Catholic thing of never letting herself believe that she did a good job. I think that that is part of yeah. Well, that is part of the Catholic faith. The I don't deserve anything nice. I'm evil. And uh, but then but then she actually said she said now if your damn state would just pick a senator, I could go to sleep because I mean, it was like two and a half days right before yeah. they announced that. Um, oh, by the way, here's a line that I didn't get to use on Thursday or Friday. I was following Lara around the house all day Thursday, going, Jeff Merkley's a senator. Do you want a senator as senator? All right. In any event. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. This is every dog owner's nightmare. And it has to be bad enough that you have to take your dog on a plane. Which sucks. Which is really bad. I can't think of what scenario may happen when I would have to do that. I would hire a private plane. No, you, you have never taken either of your dogs on a plane? No. I had to take, I've taken Max on a plane, well, I mean, you know, round trips, so, you know, two two flights, but uh, went to, to Utah because we could not find, we delayed, we couldn't find a border, oh. couldn't find a kennel. They were all, all of the all of the kennels we were comfortable with were full, and then, uh, you know, some of the folks that had offered in the past to keep an eye on him, you know, of course, the problem is, you know, those, it, it's always around the holidays when they're going to be gone, too. Right. So we had to take him to Utah with us, and that was... Um, it was unnerving, and of course, you just feel so bad for the pet having to fly. You know, you just feel like a terrible person. So here's what happened, and it happened here at our airport. So somebody had to fly their dog. They had to change airlines, so somebody had to take the pet out of plane A and put it on plane B. Right. In the meantime, the airline personnel picks the pet carrier containing this dog, Bear, out of a Horizon jet Thursday, and the worker opens up the pet carrier for whatever reason he thought he may have been doing a good deed to let the dog have to go to the bathroom. But you don't do that in the middle of a noisy airport. No. No, you do not. So the dog just bolts. Uh. He ran across busy south terminals after the kennel was open at PDX. The airline told the owners, he bolted, he's gone. Sorry. What can you do? It's from Horizon. He bolted, he's gone. Sorry. So without food and shelter, this dog remained missing for several days. The woman, of course, couldn't sleep or eat. I, I think none of us in that same situation would be any different. Now, see, when you were first given the the the, uh, the headline to this at the, at the beginning of the show, I didn't know it was for several days. I figured it was for like 20 minutes or something. So, so the dog was lost in the airport for like multiple days. Mm-hmm. So without food and water, she remained missing for days. 
Then, uh, let's see, they spent uh, four or five hours looking for him the first night. They rented a car, and that's all they did. So they've had the dog for like seven days. Right. Horizon Airlines personnel say the worker was probably acting in the dog's interest. By letting by, it by letting open the kettle in the middle of a tarmac. Is that how the... So the flight was delayed, and one of the workers decided to open the kettle for some odd reason to let the dog go to the bathroom. It was late at night on an active tarmac Ugh. with planes taking off left Jesus. and right. This happened at PDX. Uh, so the uh, dog was last seen running toward a golf course. They checked there Friday. They also checked the nearby Coast Guard base, a local post office. No luck. The couple were beginning to lose hope after a weekend of searching. They realized they'd have to leave eventually. So this dog named Bear made it all the way to Northeast Columbia Boulevard when he was spotted. A resident who saw, apparently this is all over the TV during the weekend. Must I wasn't here to see it, but it happened. It was all over the TV, and this person was heading to work. He saw a loose dog that matched the photos and descriptions. He calls KGW to report the dog's location, and soon the bear was, uh, the dog whose name is Bear is back to his owner, the Colstons. So everybody was reunited this morning. Happy ending. All right. The Colstons have Bear. Uh, who ha- has been checked out by a veterinary to make sure he's all right and will spend the rest of their two-night vacation with him. So, you know, moral of the story, why don't you not open the dog's in crate the like a in the middle of the tarmac, thinking that it's somehow for the dog's own good. Seriously. Good God Almighty. And was this what you said where there was nobody's fault? That was their claim. Ah, it's nobody's fault. Really. Mm-hmm. There's, it's always someone's. Everything is someone's fault. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Right. So, well, that just gives me the jitters. Well, i got to tell you, to be fair, uh, when I flew with Max, you know, we didn't, because what do they do? If you, they stick them in the belly of the plane or something? What do they... Where, yeah, they, where the little cheetahs are. I mean, yeah, no, no, Did no. Did you so remember they, from snakes on a plane? When they keep, they oh, yeah, that's right. The, but see, I didn't know if that was... I didn't know if snakes on a plane was a scientifically accurate rendering of, like, the way that a flight operates. Um... No, but we, you know, when we flew with Max, we actually kept him with us. We took, we kept him in, in, you know, at our seat with us. So he's small enough that you can. Do he that. is small enough. He has a, he has a, he fits in a, a travel bag that actually is small enough that it will fit underneath the seat in front of us, and it's comfortable for him. It's not crowded. Uh, but yeah, no, I would, but see, I would never do that thing where they stick him in the like the mm. hole of the plane or some crap. No, there's no way. No, screw that. Hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello. How you doing? Hey. Uh, one thing I just thought of, Sarah, try Catalina dressing with the avocado. It's pretty good. Okay, thanks. Um, just like cut an half, pull the seat out, fill that little hole with the Catalina, and it's, it's tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the course of the election coverage, because uh, I had been paying attention to it, an observation I had made, did you notice like it seemed like there was an overabundance of Republican signs to Democrat signs that were posted all over the place, at least in Vancouver there were? I, you know, I don't know. I think in Portland... I think in Portland it was mostly – I didn't see a lot of McCain signs. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because – and maybe that's just my oh, perception. Oh, I, I do in the suburbs where I live. See, and I think that's the thing. I think the further you get – if you take downtown Portland, Oregon as being the geographic center mm-hmm. and you move outward, the further out you get, the more McCain-Palin signs you were seeing. But the closer into the metro area you were – the more Obama-Biden signs you yeah, saw. Yeah, I live more on the east side of Vancouver, so it was a whole lot of Don yeah. Benton and McCain and stuff. I get it, because I got to tell you what. The, Go after ahead. the election like passed and everything, it yeah. seemed like all the Democrats went out and cleaned their mess because their mama taught them how to do that. Right. Where I've seen like, a whole bunch of like Benton signs that are like broken and half-sitting <laughs> on the ground and a bunch of busted McCain signs. It was like... I know you guys think that Armageddon is going to kill the planet, but at least you could do is clean up after yourself. You I, will, know? I will say this, actually, two things. One, 
Um, the reason that I'm fairly certain that there weren't a lot of McCain Palin signs here in Portland is because they actually would really stand out when I saw them. I, I would really notice them uh, yeah. because I would think to myself, that's odd because, you know, Portland's just such a big liberal enclave or whatever. I saw this one that said, um, what did it say? It said, it said, no Obama. That was the back of the guy's car. It said that's McCain Palin. Yeah. And then it said like, no Obama, like in big, in big letters, which I thought was pretty funny. But the other thing about it is this. Not to pick on the McCain-Palin people, because have you noticed that every time there's an election, it really is just the loser bumper stickers that stay on? I mean, yeah. you, you never see, almost never, those W stickers, I think, are the exception. You almost never see an old political bumper sticker on the car that is for the winning party. It's always like it's always like a Dukakis Benson uh, sign or something. You know what I mean? It all... Ross Perot, 1990, Seriously. Or, you know, Edward, I see those Kerry Edwards bumper stickers everywhere. It's yeah. like if you win, you take it off. to my locker. <laughs> I mean, that's right. It is the wimpiest bumper sticker I've ever seen. I mean, it just makes no sense. It's, if you win, I guess you have the energy to go out and clean up your car. If you lose, you're just so filled with apathy and despair, you just leave it there. <laughs> yeah, I see those Carrie Edwards things, ever, and it's just sad. It's just uh, sad. It's usually on a Subaru. Totally. All right, good uh, observation. And then the la last observation that I had was the commercial that I heard when I was sitting on hold about the, uh, oh, what was it, the... Uh, is this, is this from one of our many fine sponsors? One of your many fine sponsors. I, I just thought of something that would have made the commercial better because the ladies all, I was driving by a cemetery and something hit my car and I won't get out and I was just thinking zombie. zombie. Oh, totally. Zombie. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. That'll be next. We were all sitting all right. in your saying, Madison. Yeah, we were all thinking that. Thank you, sir. <laughs> have a good one. All right, there you go. But, but you know, the tow truck came for that woman within seven seconds. Yeah. So her problem was solved within 60 seconds as OnStar does. OnStar is <laughs> All of our commercials solve your problems within 60 seconds. Uh, can I tell you this? Those commercials are kind of effective, though, because uh, whenever I rent a car, they'll say, like, and do you wish to have OnStar? And I, and I haven't quite done it yet because I've never been in a place where I really need it, but I'm always tempted, and it's because of those commercials. Because you are always afraid of, like, you know, just some nightmare scenario where you're going to be trapped in a, in a back alley by I some I can't feel my legs anymore. <laughs> I'm burning alive! <laughs> That's going to be good for my voice. Do you remember the old OnStar thing that we put together with the um, the rejected cartoon? Yes. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, Sarah, because i got two things to say right now, and then we'll proceed with the news. I can already tell, by the way. It's going to be, be a crazy day. Well, and it's gonna, we're going to look up, and it's going to be 2.55, and we're going to be no further ahead, which is fine. You know, it's Monday. we got a whole week, baby. Uh, let's see. Zombies rejected. Um, so let me do these in reverse. So, as I was saying at the beginning of this uh, program, I had kind of a full week. I mean, we all did. I mean, you. when did you go to Vegas? Thursday? Friday. Friday. Uh, and so then Madonna was when? Saturday? Yes. And then when did you go to the Museum of Atomic Testing? Saturday, before Madonna. Yeah, so it was, it was quite a full day. Um, but just just as a side note again, the, the, aren't, aren't you glad you went to this? Yes, I am. I'm so glad you took my advice, because sometimes you recommend stuff, and then people go and they don't and, like and it. And you know what? I had to stop myself from buying things in the store. They were like condiments. I... I completely, can I tell you this? I'm not ashamed to admit it. When I went to the Museum of Atomic Testing uh, in the Las Vegas, Nevada, I bought many, many things in the gift shop. I bought And, and lots I watched of all things. your videos, so I didn't have to buy them. Yeah, no, that's where I got those. Like, C is for communist. That's where I got that. Um, oh, also, by the way, you can take the new bus they have there. It's called the Deuce Bus. Right. It's a double decker bus, and it runs all the way down the strip out there. Ah, things you have to drive. Um, I also like here that there's a at, at the front of this uh, atomic testing museum. There's a Wacken Hut guard station. Yes, I love the Wacken Hut guard company. It is just, Wacken Hut is just one of the funniest words ever. And then they have this real 
menacingly looking security guard who walks around there. Oh, yeah? I wonder if he... Uh, I didn't have the chance to talk to him, but I wonder if he was one of the original guys from way back when. I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty fascinating when you walk through there, and a little terrifying. Did you go into that exhibit that uh, simulates you are there watching an atomic yes. blast? That's a little freaky, because, you know, the thing is, in Vegas... They used to pitch that as like a tourist uh, uh, attraction. Mm -hmm. It's like, come, gamble, have a drink, and then you and your lady friend come stand outside and watch an atomic explosion just two miles away. And so you just, all of these like madmen, Rat Pack era folks standing out there with a highball and a cocktail dress watching an atomic blast like two miles away. <laughs> they had this so ridiculous. how to make atomic cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then they, they have this magazine showing these kids in, in the yard, I guess a whole bunch of kids, they're down on the ground. And above them is a mushroom called as children of the atomic age. Why aren't they inside? <laughs> you lay down in the crowd underneath the mushroom cloud, what's, and you'll be fine. What's like the duck and cover thing? You know, that extra six inches. You know, that's going to that's gonna make all the difference right there. Um, what was I saying? So the, oh, yeah, but so there's this room you go in, and you sit down on a bench, and it simulates, like, as though you're there watching an atomic blast. And so it's dark, and then it goes white, and then there's just this... And this blind, this the warm wind that blows on you—it's just terrifying. Uh, and then you're looking at these pieces from some of these atomic bombs. And you is this stuff so radioactive that I'm touching? That's the other thing. There's a bunch of exhibits where it's like, you know, it's like that's a good point. This pair of goggles, <laughs> this pair of goggles was worn by a man who was incinerated while watching an atomic test. You know, look how—you're only inches away from them. Reach out and touch them. And you're looking at these exhibits going, are these giving me cancer? Exactly. Yeah. It, am I leaving here with cancer? <laughs> that's just, you don't have to pay for that. I know, it's true. That's, that's, that's a bunch Something of, for the tourists. That's a door prize. You, the, uh, like the, the magnets and the t-shirts are made where the cancer is free. The irradiating of your pituitary gland is free. I mean, these are actual objects from these websites. Ah, <laughs> uh, wonderful. Uh, two quick notes. So, so yeah, and they're charging me to get cancer. Twelve dollars, but it's worth it. It really is. So, when in Las Vegas, go to the wonderful Atomic Testing Museum, won't you? So, Tim had quite There's a weekend there. There's a link to it on my website if you want to see it. And then Sarah went to uh, you went to a CD release party and to a wedding and to a waterfall. Yeah, I went into a, yeah, a one-year-old's birthday party. And to a trivia night and, and a thank karaoke. Night. So wow. on Friday, I went to Army of Darkness, which is Court and Fatboy's midnight movie. And, you know, they always... I wanted the, to do that. How was it? It was wonderful. Yeah. So biggest turnout they've had, I think, bigger than Lebowski even, lying around the block. Um, and, uh, you know, and it is, you know, a real bonding experience to watch a movie like that. And so, so they always pick these movies sort of, you know, from, from years past. And they'll do classic trailers before the movies, too. But this time when they showed Army of Darkness, they only showed... This is what they, and I thought of you, Sarah. They did... Before Army of Darkness, they showed the trailer for, for uh, Dawn Till Dusk, which was great. And then, instead of other trailers, they showed Rejected all the way through. Thank you. That makes sense if you know I what we're talking about. One. Mosh boom yeah. too big. See? How great is that? This doesn't make any sense if you haven't seen this short film, but there oh, you is, have to, you have to. <laughs> there is an Academy Award nominated short cartoon by a guy named Don Hertzfeld called Rejected. I'll put it on my blog later. I'm, I'm putting it on right now. It's too. one of the it's one of the funniest things ever made. But Honestly, that was, I'm so glad that you find that funny because I think it's hilarious. It's hilarious. But they showed it before Army of Darkness. That was actually what they did in lieu of trailers. And the amazing thing was it's like five hundred people in the theater and when they, you know, threw up the title card, Rejected, a film by Don Hertzfeld, everybody in the theater exploded. Everybody knew what it was. So that was quite something. One one final thing here, and then we'll get back to the news. We were talking about that OnStar commercial and how we all think that it ought to be zombified. Yes. 
I want to give a belated thanks to the Oregonian, uh, uh, a writer named Jason Sims, who writes for the Oregonian, who wrote a newspaper article, I think, uh, the Thursday before Halloween, uh, or maybe after Halloween. I guess it was after. It was, uh, it was like the, I don't know, the, the third or whatever. Uh, but two Thursdays ago, a guy named Jason Sims wrote an article for the Oregonian about zombie culture and how we are living in kind of a zombie renaissance right now. It is a, it's a golden age for zombies. And he wrote a whole piece about Portland and zombie culture in Portland, and then he referenced our show. He uh, uh, he had a, he interviewed me for a little bit about that, and he uh, got the name of the station right and everything. So wow. thank you, Jason Sims. He wrote a little uh, little piece about the about zombie culture and the Rick Emerson show. So thank you, sir. Here's Tim Riley. President-elect Obama and his wife Michelle have just left the White House. First Lady showed Mrs. Obama around the private residence. While the president and president-elect talked in the Oval Office, Barack Obama had been inside the West Wing before, but had never been in the Oval Office. The president and president-elect smiled and waved to the cameras. They're both wearing blue suits and blue ties. Yeah. I uh... I would love to hear what they were talking about. Well, see, but that's the thing I wonder about. I want, it's like those congratulatory calls, you know, where it's like Al Gore calls George W. Bush to go, well, you won, bastard. I, I always wonder about, like, when George W. Bush is bringing Obama into the Oval Office and they're having the first, like, heart-to-heart, you know, president-to-president talk, you wonder if it's tense because Obama basically has been beating George Bush like a, like a, <laughs> he's been beating him like a rented mule, I mean, for like, for like 18 months. But, see, here's my thing. I suspect that it's not like that. I have this theory. I, I think Bush is relieved. I think, well, don't you think anybody in that gig is relieved? I mean, don't you think when you, when you... He wakes up every, how much more time do I have left in here? I think when you are done as president, I think that has got to be just the biggest weight off your shoulder. I think you have got to be so unbelievably done with that job by the time it's finished. I mean, did you see the Onion headline uh, after Obama was elected? No, I did. Uh, have I? Maybe I did. I think I'm going to mangle it. Let me see if I can actually look it up really quickly. I don't want, the Onion puts such craft into the choosing of their words. I don't want to sort of screw it up. But the Onion really, they really hit it on the nose uh, when they talked about, you know, when they were describing the presidency. Hold on, let me see if I can uh, let me back up here. Just give me one moment. Theonion.com. Hey, do you ever find yourself typing .vom a lot, and yes, then you think to yourself... I, I don't know why. But then you think there ought to be a Firefox plugin at some point that just knows that it's .com, and then when you type in vom, it just makes it com instead. Because mm-hmm. there is no .vom. There is no extension. Uh, I've never hit .vom, I don't think. I do it all the time. It's right next to the C. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look one more time and see if I can see if I can find it, because I don't... I don't think... I don't think I've got it here, but it, but it ties into this business of the presidency and, you know, how everybody strives for it, but it is, in fact, just this entirely, unbelievably uh, stressful job. You know, this job that just... Oh, here we go. Here's, so, here's what The Onion said. This is The Onion's headline, the night of the election after Obama is announced president. The Onion headline is just, black man given nation's worst job. Um... It says, African-American man Barack Obama, 47, was given the least desirable job in the entire country Tuesday when he was elected president of the United States of America. In his new high-stress, low-reward position, Obama will be charged with such tasks as completely overhauling the nation's broken-down economy, repairing the crumbling infrastructure, and generally having to please more than 300 million Americans and cater to their every whim on a daily basis. As part of his duties, the Onion story continues... The black man will have to spend four to eight years cleaning up messes other people left behind. The job comes with such intense scrutiny and so certain a guarantee of failure that only one other person even bothered applying for it. Said scholar and activist Mark L. Denton, 
It just goes to show you that in this country, a black man still can't catch a break. So that really sums it up right there that, I mean, you fight for it. you got to be, the, you know, it, I mean, look, I know there's worse jobs to have probably than the presidency, but maybe there aren't worse jobs to have. Because, I mean, he's going to get a grace period of, I don't know, like 30 days. And then if he doesn't start fixing stuff, people are going to turn on that guy. I mean, he's got like an entire broken goddamn country to put back together. Or or he's going to be out on his ear, man. So. I was listening to the BBC this morning. What's that? I was listening, uh, what? I was listening to the BBC this morning, and they said, he's getting a broken chalice in an empty cupboard. <laughs> I mean, that's... I mean, that, that's really what it is. It's like being given some firebombed convenience store and be, being told, like, all right, you need to be open for business tomorrow and you need to be turning a profit by 2 p.m. It's like, we can't ruin it anymore. Now it's all yours. So I would, I would share your assessment that Bush is probably relieved. Uh, and probably especially because he, he, he had a second term. I mean, if you get bounced out in your first term, then it's got to be unsatisfying because you always have, you know, it nags at you that you weren't able to, to be reelected. But I mean, by this point, he, he must have decided, you know what? I think I've been wrong more than a couple times. <laughs> well, Possibly, I mean, maybe. And he's got an approval rating of like one. The worst so, is Nixon. Um, so, I mean, you know, when you win your second term as president, you've got to almost at that point, like you must, when you win your second term as president, you must be ready to quit right then because you've proven it to everybody. You're like, look, I was elected president and I was elected again. In your face, everybody doesn't like me. Suck on it. I won. You lost. Now I might as well quit because it's just downhill from here. So that job ages you, though, so badly that I have got to imagine that for the last 8, 9, 10, 12 months, Bush has just been like, uh, I'm looking at the calendar, just going, I, I don't know. I just, I just want to go fishing for a while. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, All right, here's Tim Riley. So we're not going to have her talk about much longer, so let's talk about Sarah Palin for a minute. Now she says, the losing is because the Republican ticket represented too much of the status quo. And did not offer solid issues on how McCain administration would be different than Bush. Uh -huh. She said the growing debt under Bush for what she called blunders in the war strategy as examples of where voters turned to Democrats. She said her run for the vice presidency was good for Alaska as the attention showed the nation the kind of hardworking people live in the state. As for 2012, she said there are more things she wants to do as governor and dismiss poll numbers. How hard do they have to work? Don't they get like $3,500 a year just for living there? Well, now she goes back. Where things what could the cost of living possibly be in Alaska? Everything's more expensive because it it travels further. Now is that true? See, yeah. so maybe I'm judging too harshly. It, it, it travels up there from the bottom 48. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm sorry. You go ahead, Tim. So that's that. That's the end of the ceremony. Well, you said there. something. What was the last sentence you read? There? I don't remember. I don't listen to myself. All right. Uh, um, did you see her going back and being welcomed by the uh, by the people in her office? Yes. Who apparently don't like. I mean, uh, the word is though. And I don't really know much about Sarah Palin's role as governor. But the word is that, is there a computer that keeps clicking relentlessly? You know, they redid mine over the weekend, so it might be mine. Oh, you know, the sounds thing was probably turned back on. I know they uh, they sounds updated thing. some things. Um, but, uh, but I guess when she was governor, apparently Sarah Palin was a pretty nonpartisan governor. Uh, she apparently did not hew too much to the party line. So... I, from what I from what I've read, I guess the uh, the folks in Alaska were a little weirded out by the fact that when she got on the campaign trail, she just turned into such a fire breathing Republican. Because I guess she's been pretty centrist as a governor. So uh, you know, you know what it is. This is sort of like uh, when you go all in on that ace king and it uh, doesn't come together for you. Then you, uh, you, you know, then you, uh, you got to just suck it up and go home. No, we can fix it during the break. It's, just, it it's in the, the control panel. It's just a thing for the incidental computer sounds. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway. Say, Coca-Cola may bottle Willamette River water. As strange as that may seem. <laughs> Sign me up. A little mm. taste of Oregon 
maybe coming to the Dunsany bottle water brand. Be so sludge. It's straight from the Willamette. Coca-Cola Bottling of Oregon plans a $35 million expansion of its southern Wilsonville plant near I-5 to include Dunsany water. Critics say that filtering and bottling tap water is delicious. But the other problem is, well, the American Beverage Company says bottled water goes through additional filtering and Dunsany Coca-Cola adds its own brand of minerals. So beginning January 1st, Oregon will add water bottles to the state uh, recycling program, tackling a five-cent deposit, which is going to be added to that. The legislation is expected to reduce the roughly 125 million water bottles reaching state land. Oh, they really think so? They're going to eliminate <laughs> these, these bottles reaching? Uh-huh. I just, I, you know, every time we have any sort of a story about bottled water, I just can't get past that aspect of it. There's the notion that we are, in fact, bottling something that comes out, bottling something that is out of the tap and selling it at like a 9,000% market. It really is the most American business in some ways. And you know where it's expensive? Vegas. The oh, cheapest yeah. is like 350 so I got smart. I grabbed a whole, you know, the water is free if you go down to the spa. Yeah. You just put a couple of them in your room and take them back to your room. Wait, you had a spa? What hotel were you at? Uh, the Tropicana. I always go to the spa wherever I stay. Ah, oh, see, and so I, uh, I think... I like jacuzzi and sitting around the robe and... I will take well, cold beverages. Maybe this was the flaw in my uh, my hotel room last time, which cost us $34. <laughs> maybe staying at the El Cortez was not really the best way to get plush stylings. Well, um, the Tropicana is nothing fancy either. You, you go down by the elevator, you see pictures of Broderick Crawford's wedding night in the 19... 19- <laughs> getting married to some starlet you never heard of. Here's Hedda Hopper enjoying a night at the craps table. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you know where else? Uh, this is really an Andy Rooney kind of discussion. You know where else bottled water is expensive? Where's that? You know where they just screw you for bottled water is New York, dude. Bottled water in New York because they know that you're walking everywhere and that you're just uh, expending all your fluids trying to keep yourself motoring from one place to another. Bottled water in New York is a expensive and b minuscule. It's like it's like a shot glass of water, and it's all from, there's a monopoly too. It's all from Poland Springs. You, oh any, yeah, that's in Maine. Dude, anywhere you go, especially, uh, you know, like in, in the city, as they say, it is all Poland Springs bottled water, and it's like $9, and, it, and you, you open it, and, you gotta, and it's just gone before you, and you're just, ah, so thirsty, I'm so thirsty. And, you know, and then there's another guy, uh, you know, like at a hot dog stand nine miles away selling you another bottle of water for $12. They do that to you in London, too. Everything's minuscule. It's the smallest you've ever seen it anywhere. Can I tell you this? And, I mean, it makes me sound like some obsessive-compulsive depression-era hoarder. The last time Laura and I went to New York, we actually took a whole separate suitcase that was filled with bottled water. Uh, that was what we did. We actually took a small suitcase with us that was just filled with like 35 large bottles of bottled water. And, you know, because it, we, and we just lugged those around with us. And, of course, as the suitcase was empty, we filled it with our many souvenirs. Here's Tim Riley. Then we have the young Gresham mom accused of leaving her baby alone to go out drinking with her friends. This mom is 19 years old. Her name is Gloria Celeste Moore. She left her 10-month-old daughter in a playpen for more than six hours to go party with her friends. This happened at the Barry Ridge Apartments in Gresham. Police were called down to the complex after neighbors complained of people yelling in the parking lot. When they got there, when Moore's friends dropped her off, they became suspicious of her behavior. She wouldn't let them into the apartment and said her daughter was the babysitter. Well, they didn't believe her and forced her to open the door. Then Moore's friends told police they found the 10-month-old baby in a puddle of her own urine, alone in a playpen. Ah. A 19-year-old mother from Gresham. She is arrested and taken to Multnomah County Jail. She'll be charged with one count of child neglect. Her bail set at $2,500.
Wow, that's right. She can try better with the next kid that she's undoubtedly uh, She's probably already impregnated with. Mm -hmm. I didn't say that, Sarah. You said that. Uh, Rick, take a look at the Dasani water label. The ingredients are water and sodium chloride. He says, that's right. They add salt to their water. Well, okay. Uh, Let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, Rick, uh, my buddies and I are all huge fans of the show. Can't argue with Entertainer of the Year three years running. I need to update that. I need to make that the Entertainer of the Year four years running. I need to, uh, I need to, because of course, you know, the, the votes were in on Tuesday. Of course, of course. He says today, speaking of Entertainer of the Year, three years running, did you see, uh, have you ever seen Danny Gans? No, but he is producing Donnie Marie's show. Really? Yes, it's at a Danny Gans production. Uh, now, see, now he's no longer, see, I see great things for that guy. He's planning for the future, Tim. Mm-hmm. Danny Gans no longer just a performer now. He is, in fact, a producer. He is, br- he is now an imprimatur. He is bringing entertainment. But I'm not paying any attention because I mean every one in ten people in Vegas are magicians. Yeah, half of them have <laughs> deadly animals next to them in pictures. That really is true. And the other when they when they dispense with uh, Siegfried and Roy's animals, everybody bought one. Now the uh, when you when you are looking at a Vegas billboard, there's only three people on a Vegas billboard. There's either like a generic slut in something uh, really revealing, standing next to some guy that you probably care less about. Like when I was in there and I saw I saw the weirdest thing. It was. It was air supply, uh-huh. and it was they were going to be at like uh, like the Rio or something, and it was you know in concert all year long air supply, and so they show the two dudes from air supply, and then standing next to them for no reason is like some big bosom uh, slut in a bikini who clearly is not part. There's just no reason for her to be on the billboard at all. She was really it was like some clip art. Uh, it was like some clip art skank that they found just to put next to the air supply guys. Um, so there's that. There was a magician or. There is some mouth breather from, like, uh, you know, from uh, Topeka that just with his wife won $34,000 in a single poll progressive quarter mania slot. You know, that's it. So so just because I was curious, I, I told you I saw that picture of Broderick Crawford next to the elevator. Right. With his newlywed bride. And her name was Joan Tabor. And I was wondering, how come I never heard of her? It says here, she died of an accidental overdose in 1968. But she, her last uh, TV appearance was Mr. Ed in 1964. Still worth having on the wall, Tim. Yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, that, you know, Orson Bean was on the Dennis Miller show today. What does Orson Bean do every day? What does Dennis Miller do now that Obama won? I haven't heard him. Well, you know, I, I got to say that, you know, uh, Dennis... It's a wonderful program that's on right before us. I have to tell of you, course. in the in the week, I don't know, uh, you know, because we're all sort of late risers, and when I get here, you know, I'm, I'm doing things and being productive, but, uh, you know, it's, it was interesting listening to Dennis Miller in the week leading up to Obama, because he flat out just said in the week leading up, he's like, you know, he's like, he was like Obama's going to win. What are you going to do? I mean, even before even before Tuesday got there, uh, I think in the probably the seven or eight days leading up to the election, I was hearing Dennis talk about it, and he was just you know to, to his credit, he was very zen with it. He's like, hey, people want Obama. Who am I to who am I to say differently? Um, but he's uh, you know he does a lot of pop culture stuff, and I think especially especially so now. But he embraced it like he embraced it way before anybody else did. Like a week before, he was like, hey, President so maybe Obama. Maybe I'll start listening more then, because he's, now is he more focusing on, on the pop culture stuff and the stuff that I really enjoy speaking I mean, so, about? You know, he's, you know, he, speak about. he has a pretty good read in the zeitgeist. I think he kind of, well, did you, did you read that thing? And then we got a break here in a second. But did you read that, uh, that piece in Newsweek about how, and I guess the people at Newsweek, God bless them, they, the whole time, they must know the magazine trading. It'll last forever. I saw somebody reading Newsweek. Really? Well, I'll well, tell you. They were, they were around 80. Was it this week, though? Was it this last issue? Yes, it was. They were sitting in the airport reading Newsweek. It's the first time I've seen anyone reading it in years. But do you know why that is? Why? Okay, I'm glad you mentioned this. I'll do this, and then we got a break. But I'll, I'll tell you this. So there's a... I'm surprised this wasn't... Even out of town. Oh, then I have something else to tell you about magazines that happened while you were gone. 
Well, let me just tell you this. Okay. So I am surprised like a million people didn't send this to you. There is a fantastic Newsweek article that came out the day after the election that was sent to me by probably 50 people. Mm. And Newsweek had, you know, some embedded reporters, you know, inside sources, as they always say. The day after the election, Newsweek did a really great um, look behind the curtain at the McCain campaign, talking about, like, where did it go wrong? And here's the other great thing they were doing. The entire time they were covering the campaign, some folks at Newsweek were also concurrently writing a book, which is going to come out, I think, within just a few weeks. And it's going to be a big-ass book from, you know, like a look from inside the McCain campaign. And they had some, I hate that it sounds so corny, stunning revelations. One of the revelations, and that's why everybody's reading that issue of Newsweek, because it's the first time in, like, years that you care about Newsweek, because it's actually relevant. Apparently, um, Steve Schmidt, who was the executive director of the McCain campaign, I guess, you remember the night of that final presidential election, we were here with Peter Carlin? Apparently, the night of the final presidential uh, election, the, the debate, the night of the final debate between McCain and Obama, I guess Steve Schmidt and two of the other McCain advisors actually had a meeting behind a locked door. And this, again, is before the final debate. I guess three of McCain's advisors sat down and they had a meeting about whether to tell McCain that he couldn't win. I mean, I guess they just figured it out. They just looked at the numbers, and like Dennis Miller, they looked at the numbers and they just said, well, he's, he's toast, he can't win. And they had a big discussion about whether to tell him. And I guess they decided, they said at the end at the end of the discussion, they decided, well, screw it. Let's not hurt his feelings. Let's let him continue. But they knew. I mean, that was, what, three weeks before the election? They knew more than almost a month out that their guy couldn't win. They came to that conclusion themselves, his advisors. So uh, anyway, so that book's going to be coming out now, but it's an article in Newsweek right now. Uh, so let's do your magazine thing, then we'll take a break. So one of the magazines you read while waiting at the dentist's office will cease to exist in print. It is new U.S. News and World Report. No longer will be printed. Printed only available online. Really? Yes. You know, I don't. I don't know whether to feel sad about that or not. I guess I do, depending on the magazine. It's US, one less choice of things to read. You know, I'm really not. I never really read U.S. News and World Reports, but here's a magazine. You know, you know what I didn't read, but I'm kind of sad that it's gone. It's the Christian Science Monitor. Oh, yeah, I, re- I used to read that all. And they used to have their own TV channel a long, long time ago. That was terrific. I got to tell you, they, that was a fantastic magazine when I did read it. I haven't read it for a long time. It is a fantastic magazine. Certain magazines, I think, have a hold on the imagination. Mm-hmm. Playboy is one of those, too. You know, it'll be a sad day when Playboy goes away. All right, we should take a break. It's Jesus, it's 1240. Lots of stuff to get to today. Still. All right. And a big storm is coming in. Rain, 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 at least through Friday. Really? Yeah. Wonderful. All right, back after this, it's the Rick Emerson radio program, his public enemy. We're back. I know. I missed you guys. I missed you, you too. You left me for three days. I don't function well when I'm not here. All right. Well, you know, it's always good to meet new people, isn't it? 
I was talking to you. What, is yes. what does that mean? No, because she, her and Timmy finally got oh, together. Oh, that's Timmy right. Timmy and I did. I know Todd keeps writing like, tell Rick that you and Timmy are best friends forever. No, we did get along. We only got into like one argument. I will tell you that actually. That, well, a lot uh, of them off air, but only one on air. That uh, Timmy Ryan can be a bit of an acquired taste. And uh, so we, I went home halfway through Wednesday. And then you were here. Uh, I was gone Thursday, but then, uh, Tim, you were also gone Friday. So on Friday, Timmy Ryan had to come in. And Sarah pulled me aside. Uh, I don't know, at like 9.30, whenever it is she got into work. Sarah pulled me aside and she's like, look, um, I, I don't know if you were having a bit of a day already, but you're just like, look, I can't take Timmy Ryan today. So you've got to talk to him and just tell him. No, because I can already tell. I can tell the, with the tone of his voice and the way he's acting, the second he walks in the room, what kind of day it's going to be. And right. I could tell. And I just wasn't in the mood for him running his mouth. Being a jackass. And then when I'm the only one in here that can control him, like right. when it's not you and I smacking him, that's like me having to try and control the Timmy Ryan. So so Sarah pulls me and she's like, you got to tell him not to be a jackass today or I'll punch him. And, and so I... I I grabbed him and I'm like, hey, come to my office for a second. So Timmy comes up to my office and I just said, I gave him one sentence. This is my only instruction to Timmy Ryan last Friday. I said, you are not to irritate, annoy, or antagonize Sarah in any way. <laughs> and he's like, and then he did that thing of opening his mouth like he was going to sort of question. And he went, well, I, okay. And, then, and apparently he didn't. Now, yeah, things didn't. went swimmingly. So, you know, and it just if I could just make an observation, everybody knows to be true. The thing, you know what sucks about being sick? couple things. A, is it's like your own body turning against you. It's like a rebellion inside your own body. You know, where you're kind of looking down at your body, trying to trying to shout it away. It's, come on! Knock it off! It's just sort of it's like this uprising, this insurgency within your own system, which just makes you, you know, it's like, a, like a flaw from within. And then, of course, you know, the, the misery of being sick is that A, you feel like crap, and then you can't actually enjoy your time off. You know what I mean? You can't enjoy sleeping in because you're coughing or wheezing or hacking, you know, and then you're like looking at the clock and feeling guilty because you're not at work and then, you know, whatever. And then, of course, does this happen to you guys when you're not here, when you were taking time off, where like 11 a.m. rolls around and you get that weird sensation? The panicky sensation? Totally, like a weird low-key adrenaline rush. I get that on the weekends sometimes when it doesn't really feel like a Saturday. I'm like, I'm supposed to be at work. Why am I not at work? Totally. And then once I get home, I go, I am so behind. I have no idea what's been going on in the world for the past blank, blank hours. How am I ever going to catch up in time to go back on the air? Exactly. So, anyway, um, so what was my point? Oh, anyway, so I'm glad we're back because otherwise, you know, I just uh, I just sit around and I'm just at loose ends. Um, so, <laughs> I, I have to say one, one final little bit of... Uh, one final little bit of whatever. So, yes, yeah, so I did the Army of Darkness thing Friday night. Got up, went to this wedding uh, to Diana from downtown, who many, many of you know uh, from uh, the Space, and she's, you know, long, 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 long time listener. And I, I should clarify, somebody said, when did Aaron, when did Aaron Duran and Diana get married? Aaron, Diana, Aaron Duran and Diana from downtown Aaron was there, though, and, and drunk <clears throat> as the rest of us. There, there are a couple different names. There's Aaron Duran, who already has a bride, the lovely Jen. There is this guy, Aaron, who is half of Vanished Twin Photography. So if you know Jason Crump of Vanished Twin Photography, they took the horns across the Hawthorne picture. They took those great staff photos of, I, yes. of us. Uh, there's um, So there's Jason Crump, and then his partner is this guy, Aaron, who his nickname is Prime. So that's that's the Aaron we're talking about. So Diana and Prime got married <clears throat> at the Horse Brass, which was... Just to give a couple high uh, high points from it, it really was just wonderful and glorious and great and just weird in the best possible way. First of all, Clyde is doing the service, so I mean, it's like you. And he just wrote the most beautiful speech, like. And it wasn't crazy. That. I mean, it no, wasn't, it wasn't crazy you know. at all. He had all these beautiful lines, like that. Like it's all about focusing on the power of love, not the love of power. And right. all these Has he started reasons. his own religion? Is that what's going on? He here? should. Seems inevitable, doesn't it? Um, there are plenty of jungles that. 
be right to moving several. And he does have a girlfriend. Well, I still let Adam Bryan about it. Really? Supposedly she's an. Ex- I don't know if I should say Was she there? No, no, she wasn't there, but I guess supposedly she's an ex-porn star or something. You lie. I don't lie. That's what I heard. So the rumor mill goes. I Is didn't that meet on her. her business card? I'm going to choose to believe <laughs> that it's true. Um, but, you know, but, you know, but sometimes, you know, Clyde obviously is a, you know, Clyde's funny and an entertainer. And, you know, Clyde, Clyde has a lot of, like, conspiracy, you know, stylings or whatever. But it was a really... I, I, and I want to say this since it was a really beautiful, touching ceremony that he wrote. And I asked him, I'm like, you, you know, you wrote that all from scratch. He's like, yeah. And it was, it was really, it was quite something. And then there was just this great mash of cultures because there was the bagpipes in in a bar, by the way, which which is great because it's just, it was great for all the same reasons that it was sort of, that it was sort of horribly overwhelming. I mean, it's a bar, so it's small, kind of enclosed, drunk, cigarette smoke. The stale beer smell, and then bagpipes like three mm. feet away from you, and so it's just great People, and like, terrible. Smoking while she's walking down the aisle, drinking Bloody Marys. It was, it was awesome. It was just so beautiful, and I, and maybe I'm not making it sound beautiful, but if you're if you're one of our people, you know what I'm talking about when I say it was just awful and beautiful and wonderful and great and and it all at once. You know what I mean? And you know what? When you're when you know that you're witnessing something like all the little things together combined, you could tell it was her dream wedding. Right. Like totally. there was nothing that was happening that shouldn't have been. Right. At that and point. And so and actually and I should actually rescind the word awful. I don't mean that. I get, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't mean when I say it's awful and great. I don't mean that. I mean no. it is just, it was just kitschy. It was like it. It was just all of these. It felt magical. It really did. But it was all of these ingredients that theoretically, when you look at it, just shouldn't have worked. I guess that's kind of what I'm saying. Like it was all of these elements that, when you look at it like on a spreadsheet, it it doesn't seem like it should have really functioned. It doesn't seem like it should have been as magical. But then. But then it was, and it was just really, truly beautiful. It was really amazing. So Clyde does this great, um, Clyde does this great ceremony, and there's the bagpipes. And as Sarah said, she's like walking down the aisle, and meanwhile, like three feet away, there's somebody like you know, like swigging Bloody Mary and like going, "Congratulations, man!" Putting down, putting down like their third whiskey of the day, and you're kind of going like, it. It was sort of like, it was kind of like being. It was like being at a wedding that was in this confluence of Lord of the Rings and, like, Dante's Ninth Circle. Because there's, like, all of this glorious sin happening everywhere you look. Um, and then... It's like sin and joy. That's, I like, guess, what I mean by it. Yeah, I think beautiful. I think that's the word I'm looking for. It was just this, this great, joyous, like, really debauched kind of wedding. And Diana's dress was made by some folks from the Society for Creative Anachronism. Uh, who are those guys that like get all like uh, they get all medievaled up and then hit each other with like swords and and, and Prime's maces. vest? Did you hear the story about Prime's vest? No. How Diana's uh, I think believe father or grandfather had uh, shot a deer like 30 years ago or something, uh-huh. and she kept the hide, and then they saved it and made his vest out of it. Yeah, it was. It, I mean, it was it was really it was really something. And then and then when they're done, of course, you've got like the Renfair stuff and the bagpipe stuff and Clyde and whatever. And then I think rows and rows of older relatives who were uh, a little confused uh, by some of the happenings. Then they get ready to leave, and there's the big uh, the lightsaber arch, uh, you know. And so it was just uh, oh, and we should say that Scott Daly's girlfriend caught the bouquet. So have fun with that. No, she would she would have poked out my eyeballs if oh. I got anywhere near that. Honestly, I've never seen. You know what? Go to town, Lily. She like went totally crazy and like she's she actually said it, and she was she was not drunk. She was just like. That bouquet is going to be mine, and I'm going to get in the way of oh, anybody dude. who tries to stop no, me. No, when, when the girls when the girls went out to catch the bouquet, I actually Kelsey I, and I are in the back with our arms crossed. Like, I, okay, I forget who I was even talking to, but I I said I said you know that Lily's going to catch that, uh, you know Lily and I. And they said, how do you know? And I go, because she just is. Like, there's no possible outcome other than Scott Daly's girlfriend catching it. Sure enough, she comes back in clutching it, 
clutching it like a, you know, clutching it like the Grail, you know, clutching it like the clutching it like the head of a vanquished enemy on the battlefield. Look at what I got! And then the best thing. I should quit talking because I'm going to get myself into trouble. But the best thing oh, about Scott it is, knows the, yeah. the best thing about it is when Scott, and then we'll, then we'll resume the news here. When Scott Daly comes, uh, when, when, when she comes back in, Scott's girlfriend with the bouquet, and Scott looks over and he sees his girlfriend Lily clutching the bouquet, he just sort of, he had this look on his face, and the look, the look was sort of the facial representation of the <laughs> phrase, well, what can I do? And then he just began drinking again. I would say more frequently. All right, ladies. So anyway, so congratulations to Diana Prime. I don't know if they're here, if they're on their honeymoon, uh, but it really was a quite unconventional uh, but truly beautiful service. So so congratulations. Oh, to you and both. that food, the food. Oh, dude, they had the Scotch egg, the Scotch egg, and then the bangers, which is like the sausage with the, like the flaky pastry around it. That was incredible. Oh. Yeah, after like five Bloody Marys and then like a couple of those things, it was a happy day. What was my point? Oh, so Diana from downtown did not marry Aaron Duran. Here's Tim Riley on KCMD Portland. James Bond's latest movie, Quantums of Silence, has shaken and stirred Chinese audiences, bringing in 11 million yen, which is a million dollars on its opening day, the biggest opening day for a foreign pick this year. It was the highest opening day ever for a movie, foreign or domestic, released in November, and was shown on 1,000 Chinese screens. The picture is only second to Spider-Man for the highest Wednesday opening for a foreign movie. And the latest installment of Bond took in 44% more than its predecessor, Casino Royale, did on its opening day. Are we presenting that motion picture? This I was just going to say we are, in fact, this Thursday, uh, the 13th. We will be presenting Quantum of Solace. AM 970 will be doing that. And I think it might be today that we're notifying some winners of that because uh, we were obviously giving away a lot of we were giving away a lot of tickets online we had this thing called the bond election that was happening online where you voted for best bond girl best bond car and then best bond and uh, so we were giving away tickets and then one lucky uh, winner and their accompaniment Somebody, them, and plus one uh, will uh, will be sitting with all of us. We're going to be uh, at the Yvonne premiere on Thursday. Is that your Very exciting. Yes, yes, it is. Okay. Are you feeling better? I am. I'm okay. My voice isn't getting better, but it's not getting any worse. So, I'm, you know, it, you know, it, it, I think I got over being sick a couple days ago, but it's just like that, uh, again, just the, the, the throat. And, of course, but that's the other thing about the wedding is as the day goes on, what time? by what time, sir, would you say everybody was really good and truly drunk? Probably like five. Oh, do, are, Earlier than not three. No, look, I left at 3.30, three. and Lara was okay. All right, maybe two. So, but of course, as people get drunk, they get louder and louder, and they're smoking more and more, and so I'm having to shout more and more to make myself, it was a beautiful service, wasn't it? You know, and me, I can just feel chunks of my throat just just decaying away. No, and I kept going until 8, like Amazing. me and, and Kelsey and Kristen from accounting, and then I got downtown to a show, oh. and I'm just like, nope. <laughs> and I turned back around, I'm like, I am putting myself to bed now. Yeah. No, I so yeah, Laura went home and she's like, I have to go to sleep. We have to go to that dinner tonight. So that was a lot of fun, by the way. Uh, here's Tim Riley. You're tuned to KCMD Portland, a CBS radio station. Barack Obama and his wife Michelle were at the White House moments ago to visit the president and the first lady. Obama commented on how the presidential couple looked and was glad to be there. You both look at humble. Right, that boom mic works great. What the hell was that? It's the boom mic. Not a very good one. Can you play that again? Sure. Here's Obama commenting on his visit to the White House. You both look at Obama. Gotta plug it in. <laughs> Jesus God Almighty. 
That's no, hilarious. No, get it. Well, they have four no. years to figure this out. It, please tell me that's a Metro soundbite. It is. Okay, here's what makes that so great. Quality. Is that Metro's like, I mean, they're a news gathering and disseminating organization, right? Mm-hmm. So Metro actually went to the trouble of obtaining that soundbite, editing it down, filing it, posting it, uploading it, and writing a description, and then making sure it was available to all of us this morning so we could play it. Thanks, Metro. Appreciate that. Well, let's see what these sound like then. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, I hope they all sound like that. Lady Laura Bush's uh, press secretary, Sally McDonough, says Mrs. Bush showed Mrs. Obama around the private residences of the White House while the president and the president-elect talked in the Oval Office. Mrs. Bush spent some time with her just chatting in the West Sitting Hall, and they did spend about an hour walking through all of the rooms. She showed her every space. They spent some time in Barbara and Jenna's room. How often do Barbara and Jenna stay there? I don't. I was going to ask that same question, actually. Aren't they Aren't like they 40 by now? <laughs> Are they all pouring it up somewhere by now? Uh, hey, by the way, I don't know if you have sound on this, Tim, but uh, speaking of our stylish new president, did you see uh, the aplomb with which he handled himself at that press conference about the dog? Yes, I, yes. Have, I have that right okay, now. Okay, great. Okay, we'll get to that. Wonderful. Right oh, by the way, do we all, let me ask you this. Uh, do we all agree that the If You Like Barack Obama song should be the Obama Watch theme? Yes. All right. Okay, I'll, I'll edit that down tonight. So his speech was on Saturday, and I have the whole thing on my website at RatherLive.com if you want to watch it. Uh, Barack Obama faced a variety of questions in his first news conference as president-elect on Friday, including queries about dogs in schools. He said his pledge to his young daughters to get a job has generated considerable discussion in his family and on his website. You both look at some of no, for real here. That is wonderful. <laughs> the dog. This is a major issue. One is that Malia is allergic, so it has to be hypoallergenic. There are a number of breeds that are hypoallergenic. On the other hand, our preference would be to get a shelter dog, but obviously a lot of shelter dogs are mutts like me. That's a, you know, Lara and I had uh, quite a discussion actually on Saturday night about that press conference. Too. First of all, I think the Humane Society, from what I hear, they leaned on him about getting a shelter dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, you know, which, which I think is the right thing to do. Uh-huh. I think we all know that a shelter dog is the way to go. Um, so that's pretty, you know, because, you know, and that also makes him a little bit, you know, one of the people. You don't like to think of the president as having some, uh, some you know, some purebred AKC, you know, some American Kennel Club purebred thing. You like to think that the president is a, you know, he's one of the common men. Um, so, but Lara and I had... It's a, little, a bit of a tricky area to talk about, but Laura and I had a, a kind of a discussion on Saturday night as we were coming back from this dinner, through which she was still drunk, by the way, uh, because I mean there was just no way she could not be. I mean that was the that was the weird sort of the thing. Just one one final little side note about this wedding. A, there were more mentions of Douglas Adams and Forty Two and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at this wedding than I think uh, than I've ever heard in any one place ever at any time. Which was great. I mean, they was, it was like, pretty cool. in the toasts, and it was uh, like in the service, the and it was on the cake, and uh, so there's that. But then the wedding really was like that. What is it in Pinocchio? Is it Pleasure Island? Is that where they go? Where it's like hey, they're having a great time, and then they all turn into donkeys. That was treasure. I don't Island. remember that. No, Pleasure Island. Is it Pinocchio where the boys are going and there's no rules and the Lost Boys and they're having a great time, but then they all was tur- Peter Pan. Is it Peter Pan? What is the thing where they're having a great time with no adults, but then they turn into donkeys at the end? 
Oh, that's Pinocchio. That's that Pinocchio. I don't really remember Pinocchio. I remember it kind of scared me when it was. Yeah, I was afraid of Pinocchio. That's yeah. just, that's what the wedding was really like, though. <laughs> because the long nose. I mean, seriously. Because the wedding was, you know, it was inside of the whale. Uh-uh. Yeah, that's bad. No too. thanks. No thank you. The wedding was this sort of great thing where it was like it was beautiful and sweet and touching, and then but then you reach this event horizon where the free, you know, the 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 free wine and the beer. And I think done their job, and then suddenly Lily is like el- elbowing people in the throat for the bouquet, and somebody's going, "Let me tell you another thing about Masons. You know, they run the Academy Awards." Um, so, what was my point? Um, oh, anyway, so so then we leave, and I think there must have been like maybe three hours between when we left the wedding and we had to go to this, uh, we had to go to some friend's house uh, for dinner, and Laura, Laura got up, she went home, she took a nap, and she got out of bed, she's like. You know, I'm still a little drunk. And I said, yes, I, yes, you are, honey. You know, we don't have to go. We could, uh, we could skip dinner. No, no, no. Which would pl- probably please you the most. Yeah, it really would have. But things don't go your way. Yeah. So, and of course, and of course, we got to dinner at this uh, at this friend's house, and the friend, of course, doesn't know that Lara's been drinking all day at this at this wedding. And the friend goes, "Hey, so I bought some red wine. Who wants a glass?" And Lara told me later she had this whole like struggle inside her own head of she knew she shouldn't have more wine. But then she knew that she couldn't decline the wine because then to decline the wine would require an explanation, and the explanation would be, "I've been drunk since 1 p.m." So she was obligated to have more no, wine. No, not one Rick, noon. Yeah. Okay, come she, on, let's be honest she, with ourselves. She was obligated to have more wine to, in fact, cover the fact that she was already drunk, which was great. Um, anyway, but but we had this interesting discussion on the way back from that dinner on Saturday night about this press conference that you just played. Can you play that cut one more time here? Let's see. About the dog. Yeah, yeah. Here's the dog one. The dog. This is a major issue. One is that Malia is allergic, so it has to be hypoallergenic. There are a number of breeds that are hypoallergenic. On the other hand, our preference would be to get a shelter dog, but obviously a lot of shelter dogs are mutts like me. So we were discussing that, actually. That's kind of a, I mean, I don't know, problem with that's that's a, that's a weird a little bit of a weird phrase for for him to use, um, you know. When we were we were talking about how that is, run through several people before he did it, though. And, no, 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 obviously. And and we were you know noting that, I mean, obviously that is a term that is used. You know, a lot of Americans. I mean, I've said that about about myself. A lot of people use that term to just you know, if you are of whatever mixed lineage or whatever. As most Americans are. As most Americans are. We well, you know what? As Bill Murray says in Stripes, we're all mutts. We're all dog faces. Are you know are. Our ancestors, uh, you know, where what does he say? Our ancestors were kicked out of every decent country on earth. But it is a phrase that probably only Obama could use about himself. That is, uh, I think, how, whatever strides we may have made, uh, I think we were at a place where uh, that is not a thing that uh, that someone else could probably say about Barack Obama. That would be uh, taken the wrong way, I believe. Did you see that thing that the Italian prime minister said? I don't remember if I did or not. The Italian prime minister, who I get is, a, I guess, is a bit of a card anyway. Apparently, he's a little bit of a handful. They ask, I don't have the actual quote in front of me, so I might mangle it. But they ask the Italian prime minister what they thought of Barack Obama and what do they think of the the turnout of the election in America. And the Italian prime minister says he said something to the, and then his he says this, which is weird enough, but then his follow up is is so much better. He says what something to the effect of. He says, I really like the new American president. Says he's uh, he's young and intelligent, and he's deeply suntanned, and I like that about him. And and so there's some discussion about whether he was, you know, whether he was just trying to be sort of funny, and you know, whether or whether he's, you know, has a little bit of kind of a glib sort of, whether he has an irreverent sense of humor, or, or whether he's just kind of a jackass. And I guess it depends on your interpretation. 
But there were some American journalists there who took it upon themselves, as Americans often do, to be offended on behalf of somebody else. So the, the Italian prime minister says, I like the new American president. He's young and intelligent, and he's deeply suntanned, which I like. And so some American journalist says, you know, Shades of South Park says, you, you are a racist, sir. That is a racist comment. You know, what, I demand that you apologize on behalf of, you know, on behalf of Barack Obama. And the, the, prime, the Italian prime minister says, the Italian prime minister says, you are imbeciles without a sense of humor. And then he just walked off the stage. What you got to say is like pretty great. I mean, it that is. whatever one thinks about the comment, I don't know if he meant it in a bad way or not. It sounds like he was just trying to be sort of kooky and irreverent about it. But he just goes, they insisted that he apologized that, you know, for making the statement. He goes, you are imbeciles without a sense of humor. Then you follow the next day, some other journalist comes up and is like with a dog with a bone, still on this comment about Barack Obama being, quote, deeply suntanned. So this is like two days later. Some other reporter comes up and says, Mr. Prime Minister, you know, have you, have you decided to apologize for your racist comment about Barack Obama? And the Prime Minister looks down from the podium. It's like during a press conference. looks down and goes, you have just joined the list of the imbeciles I described yesterday. And then walks off the stage again. And I was kind of go, this, he's the best Prime Minister ever. I mean, that's kind of like that, uh, that shouting day they have with the, with the Prime Minister in London or whatever. You know what I mean? I just I would give anything to see the leader of, of of our country to see any president just describe the press as being imbeciles without a, without a sense of humor. This is the most wonderful thing ever. All right, here's Tim Riley. Here are a couple more sound bites from that press conference. Obama talked about the greatest economic challenge of our lifetime. Immediately after I become president, I'm going to confront this economic crisis head on by taking all necessary steps to ease the credit crisis, help hardworking families, and restore growth and prosperity. He says he'll pass a stimulus plan as soon as possible. A fiscal stimulus plan that will jumpstart economic growth is long overdue. I've talked about it throughout this, the last few months of the campaign. We should get it done. It's got to take a long time to see things change. It is not going to be quick, and it's not going to be easy for us to dig ourselves out of the hole that we are in. But America is a strong and resilient country, and I know we will succeed if we put aside partisanship and politics. There's a, that's a, that's a great, um, that is a great tradition of the American po political system, by the way, is the guy who just creamed his opponent suddenly being the bigger man and trying to go, well, uh, let's let, you know, we, it's time that we put partisan fighting aside. We should, uh, we should no longer hew to our own ideological bents. I mean, because they just, you know, clean John McCain's uh, a, a clock. And so he said, no, 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 we should, uh, let's leave division behind, everybody. We now pause for a brief musical interlude. Will I Am's new song about Barack Obama has uh, premiered. A report resurfaced that the Black Eyed Peas frontman would debut the tune called It's a New Day on the website dipdive.com. However, Will I Am, I wonder if his name is William, went until Friday to premiere his track on the Oprah Winfrey program. Hold on, I'm making the decision right now to never listen to that song again. I think it's kind of sweet. That's the and will I am. I, well, I'm think of how exciting it must be. I mean, come on, we're look at us, we're all like white folk, and we've always seen white people in power forever. I mean, how neat is it to like grow up being an African-American and knowing, looking at it and seeing like the most powerful position in the country is now 
filled by Napoli. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's amazing. No, no, no. I don't disagree with that. I just And it's, it's cheese ball, and that song sucks, but I think the purpose of it is... <laughs> yeah. that, no, that's my thing. It has nothing, has nothing to do with the moment. It's just that song. Yeah. That's my thing. Uh, it's just... It really is just... No, no, no. It's no, no song's terrible. No observation about the historic nature of the moment. There's a, no getting around that. It's just a... Yeah, it really is just about that song. Plus, uh, now whenever you talk about that guy, I just picture him being like a blue hologram. That's That's all I can picture. He's him just standing up there like he's just been uh, like he's just been beamed up from Vulcan or something. So, did you see? Uh, and I probably the, I know the answer to this. Did you see the Oprah Winfrey show the day after the election? No. Good God Almighty! So I actually watched it. Uh, you know, Lars, big Oprah fan, uh, and so that was the day. I think that was the day that I that I came home early from work. I mean, we did the show till one, and then I and then I and I went home. But um, but anyway, so I'm sitting on the couch and, you know, just unable to move and just uh, just feeling, you know, just terrible. So I'm laying on the sofa, and it's that thing where she's putting on a program that I'm not really into, but I'm I'm sick enough and tired enough that I don't have the energy to get up and leave. You know, sometimes if I'm in the living room and she starts watching, like, I don't know, like she'll start watching, like, um, like The Hills or something, and I'm like, oh, baby, I, I got to leave. You know, and I'll get up off the sofa and I'll just go into the office or I'll go take a nap or something. And I'm not like a big Oprah fan, but I just, I, you know, I just couldn't, I did not have the energy to, to, to get myself off the sofa. So I'm sitting there in Oprah, and I didn't realize this, but apparently during the lead-up to the election, I guess Oprah had campaigned for Barack Obama as a private citizen, but I guess, and she sort of positioned it as, integrity but i think it's probably because of equal time mm-hmm. um you know she had not used her show to, to to officially stump for barack obama in any way she had not used her show to push for him so if you watched oprah's television show leading up to the election like over the last six months you know she, you never heard her say that she endorsed barack obama you never heard her you know re, try to raise money for him you never heard her do any of that stuff she kept it all off the air but then the day after the election, I guess it was just like the, the, the just the leash was off. She actually came out onto the, and you know if you watch Oprah's show, she's very you know she's very mannered, very reserved most of the time. Oprah tries to be very sort of calm and collected. Oprah just comes barreling out onto the stage like at the beginning of the program, and she's wearing a shirt that says Hope One. She's holding a flag in one hand. And if memory serves, like an actual sparkler in the other, and she is just screaming at the top of her lungs. I mean, it was pretty great to see because you never see Oprah like that. Mm-hmm. Oprah well, is... she said she'd contain herself until after the election. Right, she yeah. Did, she said she wasn't going to say who she was voting for. And just most of the time, she is just, she has such a sort of, she has such a very calm and regal bearing about her. You don't ever see Oprah Winfrey losing her composure. But man, she came out, I mean, it was like somebody had hooked her up to a set of spark plugs. I mean, it was uh, it was pretty amazing. So uh, anyway, all right. We now return to the bad economy. White House Press Secretary Dana Perino, they use her all the time now, is defending the ongoing federal bailout of giant AIG. Today, they're giving them an additional $150 billion. Who? And AIG. Well, it's about time. And why not? The Federal Reserve Chairman and the Secretary of the Treasury uh, determined that the collapse of that company company would have a systemic would pose a systemic risk to the entire um, uh, economy. A stomach risk. She says AIG will benefit. Who could doubt that? Using the new tools available and additional actions at the Fed, this restructure package will allow AIG to continue to restructure themselves in a way that will not hurt the overall economy. Well, that's, that seems like a lie. Is what that seems like. Hey, did you see the uh, and the answer to this is probably not because I think we've all decided to quit watching SNL again. You didn't happen to see that sketch, the bailout sketch that aired, did you? No, I was busy. There was a there was a sketch on SNL that actually I only know about because I watched it online because it was because it was then taken down. It was pulled. It aired 
as I understand it, it aired on the East Coast, but I don't think it aired on the West Coast, and I know that NBC has taken it down off their website. Is it on uh, YouTube? It's on YouTube. It's about seven minutes long. It's not that funny, but there are some great moments, and it's basically George W. Bush and Nancy Pelosi talking about this bailout package, and they are... They're talking about the bailout, and it really is some pretty bare knuckle political comedy. But they're, you know, she's talking about, you know, and we need to, you know, we need to, inf- to get this infusion of cash to the banks so they can help these customers who were themselves victims. And so they bring on these two, you know, these two guys who got evicted, who were supposedly victims of the banking crisis. And you know how when somebody's on C-SPAN or whatever, they have their name and then their caption, you know, where it says like Dana Perino, White House Secretary. Well, they're interviewing, they're interviewing these guys who were evicted from their home because of the housing crisis. But the captions are reading things like, you know, idiot who bought house he couldn't afford, moron with bad credit, and you know, and three baby mamas. I mean, it was just, it was pretty funny. It was a, it was, it was a pretty brutal piece of uh, of sketcheteering. But I guess there was some. Uh, I guess there were some threatened lawsuits about it, and so they uh, they have uh, they have pulled that down off the internet. I did watch one great show when I was reading, waiting for the show to begin in Vegas in my hotel room. Judge Judy was Susie Ortman's guest, and it was a fantastic show. Boy, that's got to be, but that's going to be like a weird Godzilla versus Mothra kind of a thing. I mean, because they both can't get on there and just be screechy cranks, can they? No, it was. It was. I mean, Judge Judy is a lot smarter than people think she is. Yeah, boy, she. But, but can she's I? She's a rich woman. I know, but man, don't you, uh, more so than Susie Ordman. Don't you just have a deep and look? I'm not saying this should happen. Uh, you know, of course, because this is just a. This is just sort of a, a figurative, a theoretical observation. Violence is wrong. But don't you watch that show sometimes and just have a deep desire to see her pummeled? I mean, when I, you know, when you watch Judge Judy, don't you just really desperately wish for some guy just to go up and just give her a little bit of a body check? You know, when she's a, she'll kill them. I yeah. I mean, well, that's that's probably what stops them, right? Is because you would you know you'd, you get within three feet of her, and she'd have some sort of weird poisonous ray coming out of her eyeball, or just like waves of pure hate. I mean, she would just have like the absolute power of just 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 loathing that would emanate from her fingertips and stop you in your tracks. And you just really want to see somebody check her into the boards, though. Um, so I mean, that's you know, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me because she and Susie Orman really hit that same demographic. Susie Orman, especially Susie Orman, is. Kind of like Dr. Laura in the sense that sometimes they talk to two groups of people. Susie Orman, for example, talks to people who really, really crave tough love. They really want someone to hold them down and just give them a good smacking around. And then they appeal to people who like to watch those folks be smacked around, which is that's where I come in. I'll sit there and watch Susie Orman as she just reads some poor schmuck the riot act, mm-hmm. you know. Well, uh, Susie, I'm, uh, I'm working in a spoon-making factory. I I got me one of them uh one of them mortgages. I got a house. Uh I'm uh I'm paying uh, uh 5,000 a month on it right now and uh of course the uh you know my wife had to get the plate in her head uh replaced. So it's uh, it's tough times for us. I'm wondering where can I get some money? And and then you just sort of then you kind of sit back and you just get the warm glow inside because you know that Susie Orman is just about to beat them senseless with a pair of verbal brass knuckles. And then right before that, they were showing this woman who sold a media bistro for something like twenty million, uh-huh. and she was—I mean, she was well very upset that twenty million doesn't buy anything in Midtown Manhattan, <laughs> and she still has her original apartment. Yeah. Well, that's—I uh-huh. I spent part of my vacation watching C- CNBC in hey. my hotel room. Okay, so watching the news, and then we'll get—we uh, have somebody here who's an observation that we missed, so we're going to get Ryan here in a second. I'm looking at uh, looking at your call, Ryan. Um, uh, let's see. Um, well, let me do this first. So I was watching CNN. This is from Friday, 8.53 p.m. So this is Friday night, 8.53 p.m. 
they had, and I don't know if you have news coming up on this, Tim. Do you have, are, do you have any news on this, uh, this idiot, uh, the Prop 8 thing in California? I do. I have the latest uh, thing from Schwarzenegger. Well, let's do that, and then because that ties into this. Okay. Well, we'll skip ahead. We'll be back to the bad economy in just a few moments. Oh, it'll be there. I have a big stack of things. It's, it's not going anywhere, Tim. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, yeah, we're, we're not done with that yet. So let's do a couple of things here. First, Governor Schwarzenegger says it's unfortunate California voters passed Proposition 8, the ban on same-sex marriage. The governor said he believes the matter will ultimately be decided by the courts and that the ban will be overturned. Uh, speaking on CNN, the governor urged supporters of gay marriage to continue their protest. Schwarzenegger has vetoed several bills attempting to legalize gay marriage, but said he opposed Proposition 8 because it amends the state constitution. So there are protesters all over the place. Uh, let's see, this one, as many as 20,000 people upset rallied over the weekend from Sacramento to the Bay Area and as far south as San Diego and California. On the steps of the state capitol building in uh, Sacramento, 2,500 people gathered, including Don Barnett. Well, I don't recall any time in my lifetime where people have had a basic right taken away from them. And that's what this did. It took the right of a, a group of people to marry. So basically, it changed your constitution. And that's one of the biggest <coughs> beats about this. Pardon me. Well, see, but I'm, we're going to have uh, one moment. <coughs> I was drinking some tea, and as my, uh, as my mother should say, went down the wrong pipe. Um, you know, we're going to have uh, Jim Roop from CNN on about this a little later on, because I'm unclear. See, I'm unclear about that, because... To the best of my knowledge, now maybe I didn't pay enough attention in civics class about how a bill becomes a law and how it con but to amend the con but 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 a simple vote can't amend the constitution. I don't think. I do. Th I think amending a state constitution takes a two-thirds vote mm -hmm. of. I think it takes a two-thirds vote of of the state senate, though, doesn't it? So let's look at some of these numbers here. Voter voters approve Prop A by about four and a half percentage points. Polls before the election uh, showed the initiative failing, but it passed by nearly 500,000 votes. California Attorney General Jerry Brown, a name from the past, has said the estimated 18,000 same-sex marriages performed before the election will remain legal and valid. See, that's the thing, because I don't think, like, just voting on this and saying, yes, we want an amendment, like, that doesn't make the amendment happen. I think the amendment... The actual process to amend the Constitution mm -hmm. still has to take place, and I think that actually requires action in the Senate. So I, I just don't even understand this. I don't understand this. Maybe Schwarzenegger is wrong. I'm not even sure that it did. What are they saying, Princess? But I don't think that word means what you think it means. I don't think this vote does what they think it does. These uh, these idiots that were behind it. So um, anyway, and you know, and kind of lost. I don't know. I don't get, get myself all cranked up about this. This is a thing I was. After we got done talking about uh, Barack Obama and uh, where he's going to get a dog from, then uh, we were listening to the uh, we were listening to the news, and I was getting myself all all jacked up in the car about all, about this anti-gay crap everywhere because it's it really is like a bit like it's one step forward and then four little steps back right. because we've been talking about Prop 8 in California, which is, was itself overshadowed by the presidential election. Everybody's talking about Obama versus McCain. But we didn't really hear as much about this Prop 8 thing in California as we would have otherwise, again, because the presidential race was so big. But it wasn't just there. It was actually four different states. It was uh, Florida, Florida, Colorado, mm -hmm. Arizona, and California. And the one, I believe it was Arizona, the one in, in Arizona is especially insidious or invidious, depending on which word you like. California, Colorado, and Florida voted to ban gay marriage. Arizona, though... And I apologize if I'm tar if I'm slandering your slandering your state. I do believe it was Arizona. So if I'm wrong about that, I, I I apologize in advance. But I believe it was Arizona that just took this wholly unconscionable step of 
banning adoptions by gay couples, which is like bad enough in and of itself, right? But then the, not bad enough they can't marry, not bad enough now they can't adopt. But in Arizona, they are not only banning future gay marriages. Or is it us? All right, there was no. an off-air alarm. I'm sorry, I interrupted my rant. Not only uh, can gays not marry, not only have they banned future adoptions by gay couples, but now in Arizona they are actually taking children who have been placed with gay couples, and they're being removed. Because, you know, because people just have too many rights. That's the problem with this country, Tim. Too many rights. Damn it. Jesus. All right. Uh, do you have any more on that? So that's all I have on that. Okay, then let me just say this. Uh, and this, by the way, is... We are now using a serious issue to get to a wholly stupid point that I want to make. Uh, oh, wait. So on Friday night, 8.53 p.m. watching CNN, they were having this uh, on Anderson Cooper 360. They were having this uh, smackdown about this Prop 8 thing in California. And they had that guy Tony Perkins. You know, Tony per not not psycho Tony Perkins. But he's Tony Perkins from the American Family, Liberty, Values, Justice, Children, Honor, Dignity, Coalition. You know, one of those one of those groups that uses all of those, like, words in their, you know, in in their name. So he's on there, you know, doing the the pro bigotry stance, and then arguing in favor of pro, uh, in in favor of gay marriage, arguing against Prop 8. They have this woman named Lisa Bloom. Who has seen Lisa Bloom on television? Anyone? I no, I, I have not. All right, let me tell you this: Lisa Bloom is, I would say, a very attractive, vivacious blonde woman. I don't say a girl. I would imagine she's probably in her uh, maybe late twenties, early thirties. Uh, very energetic, very spunky, very smart, and and again, I, I would say a decidedly attractive girl, but had a certain sort of edge to her, a sort of uh, kind of naked aggression in the way that she talked, and just was a very, very forceful speaker and really seemed like she was just on the brink of like going over the table and punching the other guy in the face and was really making her points with absolute force and clarity. And then they revealed at the end, you know who she is? She's Gloria Allred's daughter. No. That's what I said. That's exactly what I said. And Laura didn't really, feminist that she is, Laura didn't even really appreciate why that was so weird. Because I'm watching this kind of cute blonde girl, and I mean, she's not a tan, but I mean, she's, she's, a, she's a looker. I'm watching this cute kind of, you know, kind of like sexy, like angry blonde girl making this point about gay marriage, and you know, which is, you know, and so she's, you know, and which is already kind of hot because she's, you know, because she's, um, you know, because she has that great verbal skills and she's sort of like debating the guy. And I'm thinking, you know, you know, she's, you know, she's a, she's a, a fine young lady. And so I'm watching this at the end. Anderson Cooper says, and uh, by the way, we should say that uh, you are the daughter of one of the original attorneys on this case, uh, Lisa Bloom. Uh, you are the daughter of uh, attorney Gloria Allred. And on the couch, I went, no way. Mm -hmm. And I said, what? And I go, that's not, and I actually said this out loud. I said, that's not possible. Because first of all, I mean, who would, who would ever imagine that Gloria Allred would be married? I mean, I don't know if she still is. She can't possibly be married now. I mean, I can't imagine that there's... Some poor sap yeah, of a man. A mistake from a former wife. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, I, 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 and I mean, I. Look, everybody needs somebody to love, but to have relations with Gloria Allred, I mean, it just—that's just a punishment of just such such Greek proportions. I can't even. I mean, I. I can't even fathom just how how late at night it would have to be, and how lonely. You might have to become. Before you would look at Gloria Allred and you know, let's go, let's go find a, let's go find a Super Eight motel. Come here, my tigress. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. I mean, I mean, it was really, it was. Uh, I, I can't even, I can't even put into words just how unlikely that would be. And yet, Gloria Allred had sex at least once with somebody. 
and has this daughter who, amazingly enough, is kind of hot. So, anyway, it's freaking me out. So you'll see, I'm telling you, you're going to see more of her. Lisa Bloom on CNN. Anyway. Hey, speaking of uh, of newsresses uh, from CNN, we're going to uh, talk to Soledad O'Brien wow. later on this hour. What time? Uh, 1.45 or so. So I'll tell you, I get to get these calls, and then we got a break. We'll come back, do some more headlines. Uh, people have been very patient. They've been on hold with us. And then we'll get Soledad O'Brien about uh, Jim Jones later on. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Between you being out of, uh, you know, out of the office and all with being sick and the election last week and everything, I didn't know if you guys saw that uh, Michael Clayton died. Yeah, yes. no, he we, actually on Wednesday, the day after the election, we had pulled that and we meant to do it as a snuff watch. And then we just, you know, basically the election coverage and then the fact that I went home early and was gone for the next couple of days. We didn't get a chance to do it, so. He died on election day. Uh, see, you always kind of feel extra bad for a guy who dies on a day when, like, something huge is happening and it's going to overshadow his death. You know, it's like the uh, Princess Die Mother Teresa thing. So, don't, note to self, don't be born on Christmas, don't die on the same day that a big news story is happening. Yeah, apparently 66, cancer. So. Uh, see, you know, just, uh, stupid cancer. All right, thank you, sir. Yeah, no problem. All right, two weather and then we'll break. <laughs> I actually wrote, here's my note to myself. Lisa Bloom equals hot. How is that possible? Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick. What's up? Uh, a couple things. One for Sarah. Yes. Hey, um, you mentioned your uh, dislike of listening to, to um, Dennis Miller. Oh no! It's not that I don't listen, don't like listening to him. I just, I just don't really get a chance to listen to him. And uh, his political stuff was kind of wearing on me before the election. Yeah, that's when we first come in here in the morning. To be fair to Dennis. Yeah, I mean, okay. when you just, going on yeah, you just get into work and you want to like kind of sit down and you, and you hear somebody ranting about politics. It's just kind of a little. It was a little off. And I think nerves were raw leading up to the election anyway. Mm-hmm. So, what was your point, what? though, sir? Well, I listened to both him and you guys. Yes. And I'm probably uh, agree with him more than I agree with you guys. But I love your both the shows equally. Well, thank so you. It's, it's good to to get the a full range. Of, well, you know, I, this I, really isn't a political show anyway. No, and I, I, mean, I and I would say this, and I and I say this uh, with all sincerity. I always tell people this, and they think it's just because I work here. But I mean, uh, Dennis really is a truly, truly funny guy. That is, you know, people, you know, don't, uh, you know, they don't get a chance to listen, or maybe you're listening in the afternoon, but you don't get a chance to listen in the morning. I mean, his show really is. It really is quite exceptional, and uh, it, for my money, and that's just because it's the way, you know, just my, my sort of bent on things. For my money, when he's doing his, a lot of his pop culture discussion, that really is where he absolutely shines. Um, he told, and I think he's told this story in the past, but he told this Frank Sinatra story a couple of weeks ago about his nanny going to, because his wife was sick, so his nanny went with, to dinner with him because she was a big Sinatra fan. It was, he's having dinner somehow with Sinatra and his nanny is there. And I can't tell the story the way he can. He'll tell it again at some point, I'm sure. But his his nanny, who I think her name was Coco or Kiki or something, but it was, you know, this sort of, you know, an unconventional name. And the, 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 he tells this great story about Sinatra trying to sign her autograph book and he ends up, Sinatra ends up calling her like Chim Chim or something, just something completely ludicrous. So, anyway, well, we're glad you listened, sir. Thanks. And one other thing. Yeah. Occasionally I'm yelling at the radio when you say something that makes no sense to me. That never happens. <laughs> your, your comment about uh, amending the Constitution. Yes. Um, it, that can be done by referendum if you look at your voters' pamphlet. Now, is that Almost, the, in California? Well, in any state. Now, is that the case? Because Lisa Bloom, hot daughter of Gloria Allred, improbably enough, was saying that in California, the simple vote by a simple like four-point win by the people on a, on, a, on a ballot wasn't enough to do it. 
Well, I am not a political expert. I'll ask Jim Roop. I'm going by, uh, yeah, Oregon, if if you, you know, read the measures, most of them say, amend the Constitution to say blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, we're going to have Roop at like 205. I'll ask him then. Great. All right, thank you. Thanks. All right, one more, then we got a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hello, Rick. Hello, hey. Yeah, this is a, I think a disclosure, I'm an engineer, so I'll have to be logical here. But I got an answer for you for the gay marriage issue. And, uh, By uh, answer, you mean, what do you mean about the solution? Issue? A solution. I, I think it's just horrible the way that the California vote went, and it's just jerking the poor people around. They're married, they're not married. I think it's horrible. It's, uh, I support uh, the civil rights issue. About Are you it. walking up a flight of stairs? I'm, I'm Rick and Lee's, I'm sorry. I'm, oh, okay, all right. Okay, so, so here's the solution. Yes. You know, uh, I know that uh, you mentioned you're Catholic. Uh, I think a couple of the people on the team are Catholic. But to me, marriage is a sacrament. So what in the world? I think that heterosexual marriage should not be uh, should not be sanctioned by the state. We should just ban marriage altogether. Absolutely, because I mean, you don't you don't have a state sanctioned baptisms and conversions. That is true. That so is I true. mean, it's it's a sacrament. Well, there you go. That's so the, anyhow, uh, that's a logical. One more thing, I've got a shout out for one of your uh, one of your uh, yes. uh, sponsors. Uh, I, I raised two uh, teenage boys. <laughs> And they, uh, they, they, that all, as all boys do, uh-huh. they, they like guns. And I took them over to the place to shoot because we live in the suburbs, and yes. I didn't want to have guns around the house. Of course. And that's a fantastic place. I mean, it's such a safe place. Um, you know, it's an excellent place. Well, Very thank you. Big shout out for that. Thank you for patronizing one of our fine sponsors, and thank you for supporting the program, sir. And uh, ban that marriage. I hate marriage now. All right, we're we're on it. I like that. All right. I like that guy's perspective. Me ban too. all marriage. That's great. I just, I, just every time he would end a sentence with, <sighs> it was just sort of, it was a little, a little distracting at first. I thought you were talking to Garrison Keillor for a minute. <laughs> or that guy from Singles that, I am very, very, very lonely. Back after this with Tim Riley and Soledad O'Brien from CNN. Later on, Jim Roop. Uh, we'll do the top five songs that would be the soundtrack to the car chase scene if my life were a movie. And more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. and let him know of this song's existence. Yeah, that guy's going to need money. There's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Okay, there. I've never been this excited. Well, I've been this excited, but this is like almost dark night excitement because the guy... terrible thing to say. The guy who's singing, the main guy in this, he's the director as uh-huh. well. And I guess I was, I was able to finagle a press pass A. And then B, I guess he's going to be there tonight. And how does that make you feel? So Nerd. Oh, I'll pull this down before she hears this. You don't want Soledad O'Brien. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503 
733 Uh Coming up here in just short order, we'll have more news from Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. We're really digging ourselves out of a big news hole here. Uh, let's see. I'm going to start. That's a phrase I'm going to start using. You're just a news hole. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Cena Radio uh, correspondent James Roop will join us from uh, Los Angeles. He's going to, I think, I think he'll be able to clarify some of this. Uh, some of this Prop 8 stuff, too. Uh, what else do we have coming up? Top five today. Top five songs that would be on the soundtrack to the car chase that would happen in the movie of my life. Uh, so we'll get that. Wait, hold on. Now the line was picked up. Now the line is gone again. No, for the love of... We'll wait. Richie, an area man wants to know what is up with that. They're trying to locate somebody. Uh, Maybe Soledad O'Brien. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much. Let's sit here and wait for the phone lines to blink. So what time is this movie? Is it sold out? Mm-hmm. You were able to uh, use your press wiles, though, to finagle yourself a spot? I think the person could smell my desperation. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad. I mean, I mean, I didn't know that anybody else. Aaron, Geek in the City, and I, I think, are the only two people I know that know what this movie is and have been excited about it. But it has Giles, but, um, you know, Giles from Buffy is a big Anthony character. Head is in this? He plays the... Oh, God. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Are we talking to somebody from the Clinton Street Theater about this? Um, we really, we really, because I'm fascinated by the fact that this well, Paris you know, Hilton. Called, I think it's like the premiere, because since like he's going to be there as well, I think maybe they're just premiering it at different places around, because he's probably touring with the film. Do you suppose there's only one print of the film, and when they're done tonight, they put it in the trunk and then they drive it up to Seattle, like Roger Corman style? I was looking at the Clinton Street uh, Theater website, and it does say that they're in Seattle tomorrow or next. I don't know if it's tomorrow or not. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm fascinated by the idea that this weird, gothic musical vampire industrial movie starring Paris Hilton is in fact only playing for one night and it's at the Clinton Street and then they're just like and then they're just like sticking it in the, the back of the guy's El Camino and then they're like going to the next town with it so it really is a it really is an altogether compelling thing oh by the way when do we want to talk to the guys from Bacon Salt again you know they've got a new product the uh, gentleman who brought you Bacon Salt have just introduced Bacon Nays it is Ooh, that sounds kind of good it is in fact mayonnaise that tastes like bacon because that's that's what makes us the greatest country on earth. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Just a moment, we'll return to uh, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. You all know our next guest, uh, CNN anchor and special correspondent Soledad O'Brien. Hello, how are you today? Hey, I'm really well. How are you? I am, I would say, on the classic 1 to 10 scale right now, about an 8.2 trending upward with every moment we share together on the phone. Well, that's but why 8.2? That sounds low. Well, but you know, here's the thing. Uh, you know, soccer great Pele once said, uh, one can never have a perfect game because if one believes that one played a perfect game, that one that means that one no longer has goals for which to strive. So I'm just Nadia saying. Nadia once said, "Hey, I got all 10s." <laughs> Touche. Um, uh, all right. So um, we've been actually talking about this uh, for a little while today. That there's uh, coming up on um, it is uh, this Thursday. It's going to be this Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern time, so 6 p.m. Pacific. It's called Escape from Jonestown, and uh, and you've been working on this because it is. We're coming up on 30 years, right? What? what... I know. Can you believe it? It's hard to believe, isn't it? And it's uh, and I, for some reason, in my head, had thought the number was lower, even though. I've seen a lot of news stories about this. What was the final, and to start things off in a morbid note, but what was, the, what was the final toll of the number of people who either committed suicide or were killed at Jonestown? Well, well over 900 people. Well over 900 and more than 270 of them were children. You know, and people talk a lot about a, a mass suicide, but, but I think, uh, you know, for the bulk of the people, it was murder. And if you ask any of the survivors who inevitably lost uh, 
family members and friends, they will tell you it was murder. And I, you know, and that was actually one of the things that I was sort of, I don't know, I was, I was, we were talking about this a little bit during the break, and that there is this confluence of events that made this uh, possible uh, because there were so many people who were sort of in this sort of emotional turmoil uh, or spiritual turmoil because of America. America had kind of been clobbered on all sides by uh, by Vietnam and Watergate. It was and a was... difficult time. People really were looking for paradise, which is what Jim Jones preached, that people could live together in brotherhood regardless of color. And, you know, the whole thing was a charade. He, he was a charlatan, but he... He, he preached, you know, he, he preached that he was God and that he could really be the savior of these people. And, you know, when they when a story threatened to become public, and really a magazine story did become public, he basically took everybody and got out of town and, and, and moved the church to Guyana, which he had been planning. They had been working on the site for about three years. And, and all the while, we discovered stockpiling cyanide. So it's my theory and our theory that he was really planning, you know, for this years before they pulled it off. And that's, and that's actually one of my questions. Is does, Did anybody see this coming, maybe not even on this scale of this magnitude, but, but did anybody sort of say, like, look, this, this is going to end badly with this guy? You know, it's funny. That almost those exact words were what the survivors would tell us. They would say, when we pulled up to Guyana, and many of them went to Guyana because they felt, well, let's try it. Let's see. And they got there, and they took their passports, and they discovered there were armed guards at this site of paradise. And they literally, almost verbatim, would say, Oh God, this is going to end badly. Right, right. And 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 yet they were stuck. Everything that had been advertised was was a lie. I mean, a lot of those the tapes that were sent back. Look, come to paradise, come with us, build the church there. It was a lie. People were were lying. And my uh, my news director actually was just noting that this was about the same time that uh, Harvey Milk and George Moscone had been killed uh, in San Francisco. So there was this time of just tremendous upheaval. And so it was, you know, as you said, he was sort of dangling this vision of paradise in, in front of people. From what background did most of the residents of Jonestown come? Were these people who were down and out, or were they middle class? Where, where some were down and out. Some had drug problems, and they looked to the church to try to see if they could. You know, some people, in fact, sent their kids to the church because they were dealing with drugs at that time, uh, not unusual. And they were trying to figure out, okay, how could I deal with this? And, and he offered, you know, sort of a drug rehab for, for, for parents. And so a number of the people we spoke to knew uh, teenagers who'd come because their parents were trying to get them off drugs. Um, and, and a lot of people were working class people and elderly people who signed over their Social Security checks to the church because they wanted to be taken care of. And they believed in this idea of there is a paradise where we can live in brotherhood and it doesn't matter your race. Many African-American families and white families um, really thought that this was it. This was, this was a true visionary guy who, who preached that we could all come together and live together. And they wanted to believe it. And so every step of the way, even when things were clearly not as they seemed, they kept marching forward wanting to believe it. We're talking to CNN Soledad O'Brien, the specialist CNN presents Escape from Jonestown this Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific. You talked about speaking with survivors. And is this, when you say survivors, are these people who left early or somehow managed to survive on the day of, of the, the, the killing? We talked to Tracy Parks, who was 12 years old, when she was on the tarmac leaving Port Tatuma. And the gunman opened up, opened fire, and killed her mother in front of her. Um, and so we talked to Tracy, uh, who basically, you know, to this day is incredibly affected, incredibly affected by what happened to her. I mean, she will never be the same. She will absolutely never recover. She will never be the same. And so I think that one of the things that's been interesting to see is even though she survived, so much of her has died. 
you know, so much of her life has just been been literally ruined. Her father survived. Her mother uh, did not. Her sister got out, uh, and she was left to wander in the jungle. Her father said, run, run. So she jumped off the plane and ran for her life. Mm. And what they, you know, but it's terrible to see somebody who's at the age of 42 now, you know, her life has been ruined. And and she, she has anxiety attacks. She had a, you know, history of alcoholism, just things that... You know, she will never recover. And the scope and and scale uh, of of this is just is just staggering, and and actually almost lost in this sometimes is the fact that it wasn't just these these 900 you know folks in this murder slash suicide slash combination of the above. It was also uh, Leo Ryan, who was a who was a, a California, he was a U.S. representative from California. Yeah, well, people might remember that in fact he kept hearing from his constituents something's happening in Jonestown in Guyana, so he got on a plane and came. And basically offering anybody who wants to go, and, you know, you're being billed as paradise. But if you want to go, I will take you as a member of, you know, of Congress. I am, I'm here representing the U.S. government. And family said we want to go. And that right. enraged Jim Jones, enraged him. And so, yeah, he was one of the, the many who were killed uh, in the shootout uh, on the tarmac at Port Katuma. And it's terrible, a terrible thing. And it, we, we spoke to Jackie Spear, who was his aide at age 26, who, who said how when she was very worried when they were even getting ready to leave to go to Guyana, how she put his will in the top drawer because she was worried that if something happened, um, and she ended up getting shot, as you know, and, right. uh, and, and drinking rum all night to make it through the night to try to survive, you know, her gunshot wounds, which she did. As, She's now an elected official in San Francisco. As we sort of uh, wrap this up, my, I have one uh, additional question, which is just, you know, maybe it's just the, the with, you're viewing it through the retrospective prism of knowing how it all turned out. When you see Jim Jones and... He just seems unbelievably creepy, and it is hard to fathom that he, that is the guy who was somehow able to pitch this version, vision of, of eternal sort of paradise, uh, because yeah, he just seems so menacing. That they would never have a belief that they would do, which would be to squirt cyanide down the throats of their small children right. and kill them, because that's what happened. The parents, mm. you know, the children were killed first, and then the parents committed suicide or were killed. Um, yeah, you know, people, it, whether they were survivors or they were people who just met him or even some of the Guyanese locals said the guy was mesmerizing, right. mesmerizing and that they were so impressed by what he was accomplishing in Jonestown because he was clearing the land at a pace much faster than the government of Guyana was able to do it. And they said, you know, they said, you know, we would look at this settlement and think, wow, we wish we could do that. Right. That's amazing. Boy, he's doing great work there. And, and that's, you know, that's why he's in all those photos. You know, anybody who was in politics at the time wanted to be in a, in a shot with Jim Jones. Mm. Um, you know, so he was able to con a lot of people. I think you're right. Hindsight is definitely 2020, and people look back and say, geez, what a creep. But at the time, he was considered to be just so charismatic and, and brilliant. All right, the specialist CNN presents Escape from Jonestown. It is this Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Soledad O'Brien, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes and uh, continued success in all things. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. There you go. Soledad O'Brien uh, from CNN. Richie, can you uh, grab the warm line there and make sure that all is, uh, all is, or inadvertently hang up on her? Oh, geez. Owned. All right, there you go. Wow, that's pretty cool. Not mass murder. Uh, and not so much Richie. No, it's no. fascinating. No, that well, the, the Jonestown thing is just. I mean, I know you need to do this a little bit of a buzzkill or whatever, but I mean, Jesus, it's just, it's just staggering. I mean, you, you go back and you watch. I mean, like if you're feeling a little too up about things, you can go on YouTube and see some of that news footage. It is just mind blowing when you look at it because I mean, look, I'm not, and I'm not trying to make light of anything else or be flip or to diminish the loss of anybody's life or whatever. But I remember when we made such a big deal of that Heaven's Gate thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and what was that? It was like, uh, well, like 30 people, maybe? I didn't even think it was that many. I mean, however many. I mean, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, the, 
And those, at least they were all just like nutcases in a house deciding to off themselves. This is like a, a wholly different scale. And I think maybe the only thing, I think the only thing about Jonestown that just keeps it from being so utterly and completely overwhelming is the fact that it didn't actually happen on American soil. So there is this weird sort of psychological distance. But you see that footage where it's just like... A scary guy with sunglasses. Well, yeah, and that's, that was my thing. And she sort of alluded to the fact that it was, a, it was a tumultuous time in America. And so it was easier to get people to believe all your garbage. But you look at that guy now, and he doesn't really seem like a guy who's offering you like a path of sunshine and lollipops. I mean, he seems freaking creepy. Uh, you know, and he's, he's just got the weird, scary, dark glasses, as you said. And he looks like he looks like some sort of weird, like satanic Elvis. Uh, you know, but uh, and you hear those recordings from Jonestown, which are just uh, you know, and it and it is, it was an event of just so many layers of weird and awful that it just almost defies. It almost defies comprehension because yes, you know, all of these people of this church in San Francisco, so-called church, and then they all, uh, you know, they get run out of town basically because everybody knows he's a nutcase. They all fly to Guyana. They start this huge compound. There's all of these reports coming out of this weirdness. A U.S. representative goes there to sort of investigate, gets gunned down on the tarmac along with a bunch of other people, including camera a crew, a camera crew Somebody I think from, from NBC. Uh, NBC. You know, and just when you think it can't get any 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 more insane, then there's nearly a thousand people all just basically laying in one big spread out pile. I mean, it's just so unbelievably freaking bizarre. So, and I only have the vaguest kind of memory of it, but Jesus. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, so that is uh, Soledad O'Brien. It's going to air this Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific. Escape from Jonestown. Uh, let's do uh, one story here, Tim, and then we'll break. We'll come back and reset around the corner. Okay, because uh, we were away for a few days, we should uh, do this again. The uh, snuff watch. Oh, here's your uh, snuff watch, uh, late snuff watch. Here's a delayed snuff watch from Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Crichton, who helped create the TV show ER and wrote the bestsellers, Jurassic Park, The Andromeda Strain, Spear, and Rising Sun, died in Los Angeles last week. He was 66. It was cancer. Well, he did so many things, I don't know where to begin. Uh, first, he published The Andromeda Strain. Well, he was still a medical student at Harvard. Show off. He wrote a story about a 19th century train robbery and the Great Train Robbery, then directed the 1979 film version. He also directed several other films, including Westworld in 73, Coma in 78, Looker in 1981, and Runaway in 1984. In 1993, while working on the film version of Jurassic Park with Steven Spielberg, he uh, teamed with the director to create ER, the NBC series set in the Chicago Emergency Hospital. Isn't that still on? It is. I think it's now, uh, God, it's been running for forever. I mean, just, what, like 18 years, something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It made a star of George Clooney. Uh, originally wrote the script for the pilot in 1974. God. Well, you know, and he based, and he wrote the pilot for ER based upon his uh, his experiences at him as a med student. Um, and it's like, how talented can one guy mm-hmm. freaking be, you know? And he continued to, I mean, he wrote a lot of other novels that maybe, you know, Jurassic Park was a real high watermark for him. But, I mean, he's just written scores of books, uh, nearly all of them entertaining, all of them compulsively readable, at the very least. I mean, at the, at the, you know, at the bare minimum, he never wrote a book that was anything less than entertaining. 
He was born in 1942, grew up in New York suburbs. His father was a journalist, and Michael loved the writing profession. He went to medical school, partly out of a concern that he wouldn't be able to make writing a career. But the success of the Andromeda Strain in 1969, the book was chosen, Book of the Month Club, and optioned by Hollywood, made him change his mind, although he was still an M.D., uh, through most of Creighton's books, they were major bestsellers, including science. He would ruffle feathers when he took on social issues. Rising Sun in 1982 came out of a time when Americans feared Japanese. Uh, and also a disclosure was about a sexual harassment yeah. case. Uh, Creighton also won an Emmy, a Peabody, a Writers Guild of America Award for ER, and won several other awards as well. Well, he packed, packed a lot of crap into 66 years. He sure did. Um, I will make this one final point. If you are, uh, if you have, uh, you know, read Michael Crichton's novels or his fiction, or maybe, maybe you want to try a different sort of strain of his writing, or maybe you uh, don't find that fiction is for you, he wrote one of the best collection of es- uh, collections of essays I've ever read in my life. It's called Travels, which is a really underread book. It's a book that not too many people have, have heard of. It is called Travels, and it is, I don't know, I would say probably 25 short essays about going to various places and having various experiences around the world in different locales. He has um, uh, an essay he wrote about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro that if you are a fan of uh, Jonathan Krakauer, the into thin air, kind of into the wild school of writing, you, you really ought to read. So that book is called Travels. You can get it at Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. All right, there you go. Michael Crichton, rest in peace. Back after this with more. Here's your snuff watch. Stay there. the Rick Emerson radio program. Here's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, more news from Tim Riley. Uh, we'll also do uh, today's top five. Top five songs that would be the soundtrack of the car chase sequence if my life were a movie. It's 503-733-2970. Like is the three. Michael Maris show at seven. Uh, more of your phone calls here. Uh, just a few. Let's welcome down to the show from Los Angeles. CNN Radio Correspondent James Roop. Hello, sir. Good afternoon, sir. How's your life, brother? How was your weekend? It was beautiful. How was Soledad? Uh, she was great. Uh, with our, I mean, it's, it's weird because, you know, you... You know, because you know, we're, you know, I'm a big fan of hers, and you know, I'm trying to be my normal, charming, amusing self. And then also, you're talking about, ooh, it's a mass murder of 900 people. So it's a yeah. sort of a sort of a weird bacon and ice cream kind of a kind of a phone call. Trying to understood. Trying to merge two different tones together. Oh man. Um, hey, so you know, we never got a chance to talk. Cause actually, on you were at McCain election headquarters on Tuesday, and then I actually had to kind of pull the ripcord on Wednesday. I was, uh, pardon me, I was actually. Here until like one o'clock on Tuesday, and then I had, and then I had to, to go home. My my, uh, I was just uh, under the weather and a throat thing, and and then I was gone Thursday and Friday. Anyway, so we haven't talked since the election. What I mean, the cane lost. <laughs> damn, damn. Oh, the ve- nothing new here. Back to you. Oh my, all my, all my bookmaking in Vegas has now been for naught. <laughs> Uh, so you were there. I mean, what was the, what was the, I mean, I don't say the general tone is obviously bad, but I mean, at what point in the evening did people kind of go, ah, well, this is going badly? When Ohio fell. When Ohio, uh, went blue, uh, people turned off their Blackberries and cell phones. They turned the TVs off and all that, and just enjoyed Hank Jr. Uh, they just realized at that point, I think, and that was, what, 7.30? Right. It was early. Oh, I know. 
It was actually, I think even before, before I even left the station to go to our live broadcast, I think they'd already called Pennsylvania, which was a big yeah, thing. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah. And so, the, and, you know, all it was now was Florida, Ohio. Right. I mean, any one of those were to fall. Uh, and and well, when Ohio went, it was, you know, and, and the whole thing with no Republican has ever gotten the White House, you know, in 100 years without carrying Ohio. Right, I think right. everybody just kind of gave up. But what was nice about that night, I think, is that, the John McCain we saw in that concession speech was the John McCain we saw before all this began. You know, and isn't that always the case? Uh, the oft-cited example is Bob Dole, yes. who threw out the 96 campaign, and Sarah's probably too young to remember this, but we were talking about McCain's going on Leno tonight, right? Yeah. And, you know, and she said, I wonder what McCain will be like on Leno. And, and I was thinking, you know, back in the 96 campaign, Dole... It just seemed like such a such a crank, and he just seemed very, you know, not a, not unlike McCain. Actually, just got very very partisan, and 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 in the opinion of some people, had a very sour sort of vibe around him the whole time. But then, if you remember, as soon as Dole lost, as soon as Clint was reelected, the next time he saw Dole on television, he was funny, he was yeah. charming, and you got to wonder if that is to some extent because these guys get these people around them who just put them in this weird sort of, you know, this weird aggressive confrontational mode that does not serve them. Well, I firmly, firmly believe that. In fact, you saw glimpses of the real John McCain. The ones that, because I've covered several primary debates, mm -hmm. and the John McCain that was there was a real cool kind of guy. He was funny, he was, you know, he's kind of interesting little gnome kind of guy, you right. know. And, and the, the, it's the same guy we saw at the Catholic Charities dinner. He was right. very funny. Same guy we saw on Saturday Night Live. And same guy we saw uh, election night. However, the, I think, I firmly believe his campaign screwed him up. And I asked that question to the campaign people that night. And I said, is there something you did that you shouldn't have done? Is there, is, if you look back at this campaign, it's not John McCain. It's what you sent him out to do. It's what you told him to say. It's the people you surrounded him with. It's, it's, it's when you told him Joe the Plumber's in the audience, so he called for Joe the Plumber. Joe mm. the Plumber wasn't there. He looked like the moron, not you. Right, right. So what do you say to that? Nothing. We did everything we thought we should do, and then the guy walked away. Well, you know, and there's that thing about the, you know, I saw somebody, I think it was Roland Martin or somebody making this point, that, that th there is that phrase, keeping your house in order. And those guys failed to do that as well. I mean, we, you know, you hear so much about Sarah Palin going rogue, but it wasn't even that. It was just that whether or, whether or not Sarah Palin was kind of going out on her own and being a diva or whatever it was they were calling her, you had all of these guys from the McCain campaign who were going to the press and squealing about her, you know, yeah. off the record, giving all these anonymous you know, which, of course, we eat up because we're part of the media. But, I mean, all these guys from the McCain, but, I mean, they're on the same team, right? They're, supp they're supposedly all trying to win. Except I think they knew you know? the ship was sinking, Man. that they wanted to get on another campaign at some point. So they were going to do their best to distance themselves completely from all the crap that went on. So they're blaming Sarah Palin for this. The thing about the th is Sarah Palin, and, and I, I brought this up to somebody, um, I forget which one, one of our political people at, on the election night, or, or a couple of days after the uh the election when they went back on her clothing thing and all that stuff and I said you know no one's ever really ever really attacked her policies mm -hmm. just kind of attacking her shopping right and they thought oh, that's a great point that's a great point we should have brought that up a couple of days ago maybe we should have talked about politics a little maybe bit. we should mm. talk about you know so th what does that tell you well that tells you that that what all they could find to pick on was stuff that didn't matter right right and you know maybe she'll be back uh, who knows uh it's it, it's going to be up to her obviously or or and the republican right. party you know it's interesting there was that uh, little piece in newsweek where they were saying that the, the, right before the final presidential debate 
McCain's top advisors actually had a little secret meeting without him, and they were trying to figure out whether they should tell him, look, you can't win, man. Because they, I guess they had mentally made the decision. They had already figured out in their own heads if, like a month ago that he, he just, it wasn't going to happen. He was just no, no way he could do it. Then they must have sent him to New Mexico and Colorado on Election Day, two states Obama already owned. Right. They must have sent him there under the guise of, we think you can still win this, right. just to keep him away from the press. Just keep him away from Arizona so we wouldn't be saying, we don't want to talk to him, we want to talk to him, we want to talk to him. I mean, I, I can't figure out why they would do that then. If they really thought he could not win, then why did they send him to to, to campaign on the election? It's interesting. I was talking to Let Lisa. the old dude sleep. I was talking to, well, you know, two things. One, I was talking to Lisa earlier today, and, and I said, you know, just as a journalist, as somebody who's covering this, do you think that any of the crop of Republican candidates we had in the primary, I said, do you think there's anybody who could have beaten Barack Obama this year? And she said, oh. just from her vantage point, no. She's like, oh. he was, he was going to win, and there's nobody they could have come up with that, that would have beaten him. I, I, number one, just because it's tough to be a Republican right yeah. now. No, bad, it's a bad brand. Yeah. <laughs> bad time to have that brand. Yeah, it, it's it's what Kmart used to be, I guess. Yes, yes. You know, before they before they call up a new Kmart. Amen. Maybe that's what the Republicans... Big, big they should K. be the new Republican Party, yeah. maybe. They should put the word new. You know, you don't like you. Ratings are down. Hey, change your call letters. That'll right, work. Right, right. And I mean, and so you know, and so I guess maybe they were just, as you said, just trying to keep him kind of out of the line of fire. I had some other point to make, but it's it's lost to me now. Um, that's because I kept running off, and I apologize. That's okay. So, uh, kind of overshadowed. Oh, it was it was just this final thought. You started talking about McCain letting you know letting him sleep. You know, you got. I mean, I understand that the you know he signed up for the for the gig of running for president and all. But you know, they said at the end of that campaign, McCain was was up and campaigning twenty hours a day. Yeah. And you know what? If, if I don't get enough sleep for two or three days in a row, Sarah can tell you I just become an absolute uh, bastard. I can't even imagine the number amount of stress that guy's on. Laying around is seventy two. After you know, up for twenty hours a day. I mean, that's you know, it's, uh, it's which a, which may explain why. I, the word I used when someone asked me how how is McCain's demeanor, I said it's almost like relief. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's almost like he's glad it's over, no matter how it went. And he probably was thinking, oh, thank God, I don't have to go through the next up until the twentieth of January now. Well, seriously, yeah. I mean, look, after the election night coverage, I was ready to go sleep for a week, and I wasn't running for president for a year. Oh, I was too. Except uh -huh. when I got back, all of a sudden I had to chase, you know, the the Proposition Eight thing. <laughs> well, actually, I got home hoping I was going to take a nap and hey, go to Westwood. Oh. Well, that well that brings us to, to this. So we were we were talking about this today. Pardon me for a second. I've got the got a little frog in my throat. Hold on. Right. It's a little dry in here today too. It is. It's a it is a it's a there's a weird you know for a place where it rains all the time. There's like a weird dryness in the air. Um, so Prop 8, and then it was actually just one of four initiatives that were sort of like that in places around the country. But this is the one that got the most attention, even in a, in a year where there was this, this very hotly contested presidential race. This Prop 8 thing was, was just a, a real lightning rod. And so first of all, I saw somebody. Do you know who, um, have you seen, what the hell is her name? I wrote it down here. Have you seen Lisa Bloom on television? Yes, I know who she is. Okay, now. Gloria Allred. Talking. See, but I didn't know that. So I'm watching, I'm watching CNN on Friday. And I made this note to myself. Lisa Bloom is is cute. And then later on when they announced it was Gloria Allred's daughter, I, see it. <laughs> I, I wrote down, how is this possible? See, no, no. Listen, I was sitting at Gloria Allred's office when she announced the uh, the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And I'm, th I'm sitting there going, man, Lisa Bloom, how did that happen in the heck? And then and then when you, I saw Lisa Bloom the next day on television, and I see the little the way the mouth is moving. And the nose, I'm going. Oh my God, she's got it. It's all down there. You can you can kind of you see, can see it if where you, it's going if you know what to look for. You can see the Gloria Allred resemblance. Yeah, uh, it's sort of like you ever done this. 
you ever be like you're dating somebody or you're with somebody, married to somebody, and then there's that moment when you see them in just the right light and you can sort of see the, the resemblance to their parents, but sometimes it's the parent of the opposite sex or whatever. You know, like you'd be dating some girl yeah, and suddenly go, wait a minute, you look a lot like your dad. I know exactly what you mean. And then it's all really weird. I remember with one of the Bush twins, I noticed that. I'm like, wait a minute, you look like George Bush. I can't find you cute anymore. So with, with this Lisa Bloom, so, yes, so we'll get back to the main point in a second, but I'm watching this and I made, I was like, hey, you know, I would tell my wife, I'm like, hey, there's this hot blonde chick on CNN. She's new. You know, and you know, my wife enjoys hearing my running commentary of lust for all the various CNN, uh, you know, the, the females on CNN. And then I said, Oh my God, she's Gloria Allred's daughter, and it was just you—you you sort of wondered like how how one sort of came from the other. It well, just... you, and you notice right away as soon as you realize that you, that you also notice the voice. Yeah, and you go, oh yeah. And the fact that how do I put this? She was debating this Tony Perkins guy from the Family Values, whatever it is that group. The and you got that George, just that little that little tone in her voice, just a little edge that you knew that in her in her mind. She was, um, how shall I put this? In her mind, she was taking those things and she was putting them in a jar somewhere. I mean, that's she was looking at that guy and she was mentally making, she was making him into a eunuch just right there in her in her mind's eye. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I love Gloria Allred for several reasons. Number one, I love anybody who champions the the underdog. Sure. I love anybody who's out there, no matter what the cause. If it seems, if it smells of injustice, I love the fact right. that she's there. Right. Um, but, you know, the, the whole thing, some of these causes, and, and even this, even this seems a little lost, at least it did, until I heard the governor over the past weekend talking about how this is going to get to the Supreme Court. And oh, yeah. I thought, I thought that the reason they went to amend the Constitution was so the Supreme Court can't touch it. So now this amendment had been passed to the Constitution. It is now going to put be put in the state Constitution that same-sex marriage cannot happen. In California, yet how can the Supreme Court get back to it? Okay, so somebody, and I think it was actually, uh, I think it was actually Lisa Bloom who had said this. She said that, and I think she's a lawyer. She said that her reading was that a simple majority vote by the electorate was, in fact, not enough to amend the Constitution. Then how did it make the ballot in See, the first place? I don't really know. So she might be totally wrong about that. I mean, she might be absolutely misinformed. It was. It doesn't. I mean. It, 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 you know, it, it just leaving partisanship out of this for a moment, where everyone s sits on the ideological spectrum, it seems like that can't possibly be true because it seems like a constitutional amendment is incredibly hard to do. Because so, didn't we have to amend the Constitution to repeal prohibition? Yeah, yeah, we did. And no one took that to the Supreme Court. No, and it takes a two-thirds ratification of the states and whatever. And I know that that's on the national level and not the state level. But it doesn't really seem like amending the Constitution can be as e easy as passing like a new school levy, because otherwise. I mean, it would happen all the time. Well, that's true. So I just—I'll be curious to see exactly what the mechanics of that are. But yeah, I saw that same thing. Schwarzenegger said that it's going to go to the Supreme Court. And I think he thinks it'll be overturned because he just because he said, "Look, it, it, the law was overturned once before; it's going to go back to the Supreme Court." He's telling me he thinks it's going to be overturned again. Well, and I got to tell you, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger—he does seem to know which way the political winds are blowing at all times. And I know at one point, you know, he had sort of voiced opposition to gay marriage, but now he sort of seems to be positioning himself on the on the other side of that issue. And that tells me that he's got a good read on, on where it is eventually but heading. You, you know, with the issue itself, I kind of I agree with both sides to a to a strange to a strange degree that I understand the, the term marriage in the traditional sense. And I understand the religious right or just religious people in general or, or those who like the traditional form of marriage want to reserve that term marriage to those who can procreate. Uh, that makes sense to me. 
and, and since we have civil unions in the state that give the same rights to same-sex couples under a civil union as are given to heterosexual couples under the word marriage, it seems to me that should be fine. But I also kind of understand the love issue in the same-sex marriage thing. If you love somebody, you want that word marriage in there because something there's a connotation with that word that means for life. Right. right. And so I kind of understand that too. So I don't know where I stand well, you know, on this thing. And you know, and again, you know, religious people are going to do what religious people are going to do, good or bad, whatever. I mean, everybody, you know, it's one of the things that makes you know the rich, the rich tapestry of America and all that. The the thing that is so obvious to me about this. Is you know what it is? It's like when you and your brother are fighting and you're just beating it, you know, pummeling each other. Oh, and they, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're just you know, kneeing, you know, kneeing your brother in the stomach and shoving him down a hill. And your mom will catch catch you fighting, and she'll sit you down and she'll go, she'll go, damn it, I want you to apologize to your brother right now. You turn to your brother and you tell him that you're sorry. And then what do you do? Because because you want to be a jerk, you'll turn to your brother and you go. I'm sorry, and you'll say it with this absolute insincerity, which is just another way to screw with him. And that's that's totally that's that's kind of what this is to me. To me, just my take on it. To me, the the fact that they have just dug in their heels and that they won't allow—I mean, it's just just a word, man. The idea that they won't allow the word to be used to yeah. me to me, it seems like just another thing that that certain segments of the religious right are doing. Just to be antagonistic. That's you know. So in any event, well, I, you know. You but know. I got to. I got to. I got to. Quickly, I promise. Uh, the, the whole thing about the schools and teaching marriage in schools. Ninety-six percent of schools in California teach edu sex education. Part of sex education, they have to teach about marriage. And I know what'll happen. What'll happen is if 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 same-sex marriage is allowed in California, eventually they're going to go to the schools and say, if you're going to teach about heterosexual marriage, you have to teach about same-sex marriage. And then it's going to be this whole thing about these young, impressionable, already confused minds, and then throwing other stuff at them that, you know, could really screw things up. You know, that, I, I, you know I, I understand that argument, too. I will tell you, it's times like this when I'm glad that we are all child-free on The Rick Emerson Show. I don't have to care about any of these things. <laughs> I'm glad my kids are old enough uh, or in private school. All right. And there's always, uh, you know, there's always whiskey. So, all right. Which is true. That's why I'm feeding my 11-year-old right now. <laughs> don't worry about it, kid. Man up. And I'm out. All right, Jim Roop. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. Fantastic. Oh, good God Almighty. Is it already 225? It is. It sure is. God Almighty. Look at oh. this stack. It'll never be done today. I mean, you know, but it's only Monday. Today. I know. Um, so we can get this last big break out of the way, then come back and do lots with Tim and then your yes, songs. Yes. And it'll just be magical. And let me just tell you this one other great thing. I know I keep going back to Diana and Prime's wedding because it, uh, it was wonderful. But here's another great thing about this. And I'll have to be very careful here. Because um, I'm... Uh, so Are you talking about Party X and Party Y? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not that. It's... Well, I'll just say it. So, Laura and I, as I told you, we had dinner Saturday night with a friend of, uh, we'll say it's a friend of Laura's. Let's put it that way. Uh, there's, uh, Laura has a friend, uh, and, you know, and, uh, so Laura and I had dinner with this friend of Laura's and, and her man. So, you know, so it was, you know, two couples having dinner. So, Laura and I went over to their place and then her and her, and her man. dinner. Yes. So, Laura and I went over and had dinner with, with her friend and, and her friend's guy. And, um, and we had gone to, to Diana and Prime's wedding. And so you know, you know, and they met. I don't think I don't think we actually said this idea. They met at a D and D game, which is great. So Diana and Prime had actually met at a Dungeons and Dragons game. And there you go. And then in all of the gift bags are these twenty-sided uh, dice 
Uh, you know, so the, and the whole thing, you know, and the, you know, and the, the, there was that when he went in, there was like the painting of them. It was like sort of an artistic rendering of them. In sort oh, of the, this, the one that we all signed and everything. Yeah, and it was like a medieval rendering of them. And then like uh, Diana's dog Heather had been given wings, so he was like this wing, this winged uh, dog. So it was, you know, had a lot of that sort of fantasy D and D Renfair element kind of woven through it. And then lightsabers and uh, and then and then the, and then the hellacious, painful drinking and smoking. So it was it was this great Renfair meets like a Hieronymus Bosch hell painting. So then fast forward to the night we go to dinner, and the four of us are sitting around the table, and this other couple, and I have um, I have been told and therefore pledged not to discuss the friend ever at all is on the, the air. Is the same person that I know? You know who I'm talking about. Okay, all right. And I have been told that I am uh, not to discuss her on the air at all ever. Uh, so I will simply say this. I will say that we were sitting around the table, and you're making couples conversation, right? What did you do? Well, we went to a great wedding today. It was really fantastic. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they, uh, yeah, they met at a D&D game. And then uh, it came out that the guy, you know, the, the guy in this other couple, the guy had been and, in fact, still was a D&D player. And, awesome, but and she didn't know? That wasn't known, I don't think, by this woman. Yes. And I think it kind of, and there was that, and you know what I'm talking about when you get that little arch tone of voice, like the, so really, you're, you're a D&D player? Yeah, I've uh, been playing for a long time, still play now. Oh, well, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Who wants more bread? <laughs> Did you just have a smile from ear to ear, Rick? Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, all right, we've got calls. We'll get on the other side, and then Tim Riley, and then uh, and I've got two musical options, Sarah. We'll let you choose. All right, back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Go nowhere. All right, then. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Let's see. Coming up later in the week, uh, tomorrow we will be joined by film critic Don Taylor, formerly of the Portland Tribune, now who writes for Film.com. And then uh, Wednesday we're going to talk to the Baconese guys. It's like bacon. It's like mayonnaise. It's Baconese. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, your personal savior, Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Fake news from YouTube this afternoon. They're going to host TV episodes and movies from the archives of MGM. It's expected to be the first of many. Now, MGM will post videos from full-length action films such as Bulletproof Month, The Magnificent Seven, and its decades-old American Gladiator program. They will be free to watch with advertising running alongside the video. In October, YouTube forged a similar partnership with CBS to run full-length archive shows including... Star Trek and Beverly Hills 90210. Excellent. The new partnership will put YouTubians in direct competition with Hulu, the online video site owned by News Corporation <laughs> and General Electric's NBC Universal. I'm not even. Hulu. I don't know why you say goodbye. I say hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, hello. Rick, Tim, Sarah, <laughs> and uh, yes. Crazy Richie. Yes. Hey, uh, did you guys uh, talk about uh, Joe Scarborough uh, using the F U word this morning? Really? He used the F word this morning. Oh, that's fantastic. Do we have audio? I don't have the audio. Oh. No, we can't play it anyway. I, was, I this on, uh, was this yeah, on MSNBC? On Morning Joe. I have it on my DVR, and I, I had to run it back because I couldn't believe did the it, reaction. Was it like an accidental thing? Total accidental, and he didn't realize he had done it. He uh, is apologizing. He, uh, he kept apologizing. F word. 
He went on to apologize moments later, saying, my wife is going to kill me. And he, he was off to buy some soap to put in his mouth. But, I mean, he was in the middle of a debate with MSNBC contributor Chuck Todd and Mike Barnacle over the bailout of the U.S. auto industry when he used the word. That's fantastic. Wow. All right. Thank you, sir. Yeah, take care. All right. Thank you. That's wonderful. He looks like the penguin, you know, from the Batman. Uh, Who is the, What is his name? Joe Scarborough. Joe I like. Scarborough. I mean, I like that guy, but he's a little nutty. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, how y'all doing? What's up? So I just wanted to uh, give you a little information about how the federal Supreme Court can overturn a state constitutional amendment. Okay. Um, well, there's it's federal preemption, and if there's a the, 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 probably the most likely way that it will be attacked at the Supreme Court will be under the 14th Amendment, which is the Equal Protection right. Clause, right. Um, which says that similarly situated people will be treated the same. Um, and, and, you know, so that's probably where we're going to see it happen. And if the Supreme Court finds that, it, that equal protection does apply and that marriage goes for everybody, then it can, over, it can overturn any state's uh, constitutional amendment. Excellent. All right. Thank you for the clarification. There's also the full faith and credit clause, which says that something that is legal in one state you know, must be legal in another state. So thank you, sir. Hmm. All right. Are we going to do some musical countdown? Well, of sorts? I was going to I was going to give it up to uh, to Sarah. I was going to let you choose. Uh, we can either do top five or we can do greatest songs ever made. Your choice. Ooh, what was the top five? Uh, the top five songs I would want playing in the in the car chase sequence of uh, my oh, life. Car if it chase were a that was going to be like a slow motion running sequence. Well, I mean, I, I said car chase, but it is sort of a, any kind of slow speed or high speed, any chase sequence. Now, have they been used in movies before in an inspirational uh, way? Maybe. Uh, I have your. Um, if Rick will I recognize any of the songs? Will I be happy with the songs? I don't know. There's all this pressure. Why is there so much pressure? If Rick Emerson's life were a film, these are the top five songs that would accompany a chase scene. I have that, or I have the greatest songs ever made. I think we have time for a top five. And you know what? I can hardly ever say that, so I'd still do that. All right, Tim Riley, here's uh, your top five. All right, here's five, my top five. It is four, worth noting that three, these are not all high-speed chase five, songs, now that I think about five. it. Good. Wonderful counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? All right, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley now presents your top five. And from time to time, it's worth viewing oneself theatrically, asking the question, what would the movie of my life look like? But would a silver screen depiction of my own existence have in its cast, narration, and soundtrack? More, specific, more specifically, if the movie of my life had a car chase sequence, what would the soundtrack to that car chase be? Then for Emerson's Life were film, these are the top five songs that would accompany a car chase scene. Honorable mention, Judas Priest, Breaking the Law. If Bad to the Bone is on here, Rick, I'm going to reach across here and strangle you. How did you know? <laughs> Also, I Got You by James Brown. This is awesome. This list is boneless. So I'm trying to figure out in my head now what kind of char- what kind of chase sequence this would accompany. I think this is the sequence in the movie. This is before the car chase has actually uh, begun. I think this is when I'm... Uh, 
I think this is when I think this is when like the other characters of the film and I are both racing down stairwells to get to the parking lot to get to the car. Like a bad Beastie Boys like sabotage video. Exactly, Sarah. Yeah. Then you jump into the general lead. Total. <laughs> yeah, I think this is where we're both and like one of us is waiting for the elevator and does that thing of pressing the button and then waiting like two seconds and then goes damn it and then just running down the stairwell past the like you know and then the. And then breaking the glass and pulling out the breaking fire the axe. And the law? Yes. The law, the law. And pulling out the fire axe to block the uh, stairwell entrance so the bad guy can't make it to the car. The this seemed like such a great idea last night. <laughs> I was about half asleep when I came up. And I tried to, I woke up and I'm like, Lara, it's a top five. It's like the top five songs that would accompany a car chase if I was in a movie about my life. And she kind of went, Could you be more self-centered? She just kind of went, Yeah, that's dumb. Good night. <laughs> Yet here we are playing them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We are working on the Rick Emerson show. Tell us more about you, Rick Emerson. Number shut five. Up. Iggy and the Stoogers. Uh, Stooges, give me danger. All right. So this would be, this would be at the very beginning. This would be at the very beginning of maybe not a high-speed car chase, but a nighttime sequence of Different folks in cars driving around the city looking for one another. Oh my gosh. Like on the prowl. What about like in Dazed and Confused when they're all trying to find the party? There you go. Sorry, I keep doing all these like, comparisons, but this is, that's totally my picture. Yeah, no, no, I could totally see that. And so this is, again, they're not chasing as such, but it's, yeah, there's the, you know, cop and criminal or good, by, good guy, bad guy, whoever. And they're in the car, and this is in some, uh, some large metropolitan city late at night, driving around, attempting to locate one another or a third party. I think it would be Los Angeles at night, but I'm not sure. This does sound like a dirty Los Angeles song, like from uh, totally. Less Than Zero or something. See, there, that's exactly that's the vibe. Okay. That's, that's what it. I'm talking about. All right. He's driving through Skid Row. This <laughs> is where they're trying to find Julian before Rip has him beheaded. I so death. I've never seen this used over the opening credits of a film, but I really feel like it ought to be an opening credit song at some point. Great song. These are the uh, top five songs that would accompany any sort of chase scene in a movie of my life. Number four, Benny Goodman. Sing, sing, sing. One of these songs, the songs is not like the other. <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay, so this would be uh, if I was in a movie where there was some sort of a chase sequence, but the movie was sort of a black comedy. You know, sort of a dark comedy, like a train spotting kind of a thing, maybe at certain points, or like a Guy Ritchie film. If my movie, I don't know what that looks like. So, like in other words, if I was in some sort of a lock, stock, and two smoking barrels type film, where you know the, the you know the good guys are chasing the bad guys, or vice versa, but there's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek element to it. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of a uh, where it's sort of menacing but sort of funny at the same time. Are you wearing a zoot suit and carrying a pocket watch? <laughs> yes, I, yes, I am. <laughs> I was just thinking how it's funny how this doesn't make any sense, but it does in my head. How Richie, when he's a woman, he's you know Rochelle, but when he's not, he's a guy Richie. That is true. That's all I've got. Maybe this would be. Uh, I picture Brad Pitt in like some you know pork pie hat dancing around like you know with some bank heist or something. And see, so I'm picturing it like in the casino where maybe the maybe the mobsters are looking for our heroes, and they and when you do that you do that uh, time lapse thing where the heroes duck into the uh, janitor's closet and then instantly the door opens and they come out in like a hole because they've changed. They're like in disguise. 
And then, and then the mobsters wackily sort of walk by. Where are they? And this is before you took your sleeping medication that you came up with this. Yes. Night. Somehow it doesn't make sense to me. It make. wasn't, was it? No. I was, in fact, stoned on sleeping medicine. It's not hard to visualize. You shut up! Admit that this is a pretty good choice for this list, it's though. It's good. It is. You jerks. These are the uh, top five songs that would accompany some sort of a chase sequence in the movie of my life. Number three, Kiss. Detroit Rock City. See, this is really a, you gotta have, this is a, this is a given. I can tell you guys don't see the worth in this list. I can, I can read you. I know, what, I know what you're thinking about this we list. We can't see into all of your home movies of yourself on adventures that you haven't been on. <laughs> if there was something else on the television... Might be more like it's as you sitting here describing imaginary scenarios that you put uh, together in your head. Having adventures that will never take place in a movie that will never be made. What kind of sandwich I might be eating at that time? <laughs> For an audience that has no desire to see such a movie. No, we are interested. We're Whatever. interested. Whatever. We are. Two more to go. <laughs> So this would be in some a movie made now, but it would be like a like a Michael Mann film set maybe in the early to mid '80s, like in sort of a you know like Miami or someplace like that, or again maybe Los Angeles, but set in like 1982. Is this pre Miami Vice? Do you mean in terms of you don't really care? You're just asking that to fill airtime. <laughs> I am not. I do care more than you know. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Next. That song's over. Number two, Billy Joel and Pressure. <gasps> yes. Okay. This, of course, this is some sort of a spy chase uh, or some sort of a chase hunt scene in a spy film. Of course, a spy film that has Soviet overtones to it. Of course. Because this is kind of a Soviet-sounding song. This song is so rad. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. I keep demanding that somebody sample this so I can hear it. It really ought to be it's sampled. It's like something Jay-Z would sample. Yeah, isn't it? It's genius. And as I always say, it does sound like it's straight out of a Tetris game. What a great song this is. You've only had to run so far, so good. But you will come to All right, except in the movie that would be made now that is a sort of spy film with Soviet overtones, this would be redone by Trent Reznor. See, this is why I can't completely hate Billy Joel. I mean, he seems like he seems like such a dick, but you know, a guy who can make a song like this isn't all bad. All right, we were counting down to the dismay of everyone who's not me, and really now even to my dismay. Top five songs that would accompany some sort of a car chase scene. You know, this sounds dumber every time I say it. In in the movie of my life. No, it does make sense. Whatever. Don't patronize me, it's, Tim it's Riley. It's good to have choices. Number one, the Rolling Stones and Monkey Man. This was actually the whole reason I made this list was this song. Isn't that the reason why we all make usually all of our lists? For one, for <laughs> for one. one song. Um, so this, of course, late at night on a fog-laden bridge. You're, you know, you're, you're driving around looking for the other guy's car. Can't quite find it. Wait, what? 
This is where you're driving around late at night, fog-laden bridge, looking for the other guy. And then suddenly he crosses the road in front of you and you see him. Wouldn't it be like a deer in headlights and he starts running and then you get out of the car and like chase him through the woods? Is that what you're trying to do? No, no, no. These are just cars tearing through the San Francisco streets while a heavy fog rolls oh, in. of course. Whatever. Wait, they're tearing through a San Francisco street in the fog right now? Yes. See, because that makes it, because it's, it's menacing. Like through Chinatown? I don't know. I'm unclear about where exactly it would be. Or like more of a bridge chip. You're doing that thing again where you're asking questions that sound legitimate, but you're really just effing with me. I'm not. I'm just seriously thinking. Mm-hmm. Monkey Boy? Monkey Man. Monkey Man. Monkey Man. All right, well, enough of these shenanigans. Let's take a break. Back after this, if you're on hold, hang tight. We'll do phone calls around the corner. Like us at 3, Michael Mara Show at 7. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Well, all right, then. Oh, Tim Riley. Greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7. Top of the air all the way through Like Us. This email says about your top five. Rick, does your sleep... Does your sleeping pill come with side effects of narcissism, mild retardation, and delusions of grandeur? Just wondering, Mr. Movie of My Life, who would play you in this blockbuster? Oh, yeah, who did you... Yeah, since you're talking about your life movie, who would play you? Ed Norton. I mean, what? Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't say George Clooney or something. Shut up! Ed Norton? I could totally see Ed Norton. (laughs) See, now I can't tell if you're being sincere or not. No, I could see... I'd want Drew Barrymore to play me. I could see that. Says, Rick, let me start by, start by saying I love your show, but this top five only really works if you've been made partially unconscious by some sort of blunt object. I think this list needed a bit more thought, Rick, or a bit more canceling. Best show ever. I know. You go through the entire show going, the levels are all off. Everything's so loud. You're kind of crazy. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. How's it going? This is Ross. I think that Lara drank enough at the wedding on Saturday that I am, in fact, uh, drunk from it. it still. <laughs> yeah, I caught the drunkenness. What's up, sir? Oh. Uh, hey, I just thought yeah, maybe you should add uh, Expect No Mercy by uh, Nazareth in there. That would definitely been mine. All right, then. Done and done. Consider it added in my, in my head, sir. All right. Hey, did uh, I don't know if you remember. I, you like that uh, background I made you? YouTube background? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I didn't know what you were talking about for a second there. Yes. <laughs> I figured. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Have a good day, man. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Oh, hey, Rick. Uh, Sarah, I'd say hi to Tim. He left. Um... I personally dug the top five, honestly. Thank you. Okay. Oh, see, somebody likes it. <laughs> what I would, um, going on that that idea, though, mm-hmm. what I suggest is top five songs that would accompany the trailer, if your life was a movie. So if your life was, say, an action film, maybe throw on some motorhead, or if it's like a drama, maybe throw on that song from Requiem from a, for a Dream. Uh. So... All right, so the, like if uh, my life, well, I've already done mine, but like if Sarah's life were in different, like, uh, in other words, uh, the, the Sarah like Dillon. Different, like action movie and like. Yeah, like Sarah Dillon, the action film. Sarah Dillon, the romantic comedy. Sarah Dillon, the cookie. Oh, like the trailer or like the opening song? Like, like the opening the, credits. There you go. The, oh, that's it. There, that, there it is. The opening credit song. Yeah. Excellent. That. That's a great idea. Consider that done, sir. We'll do that just for you tomorrow. Oh, awesome. And right. can I do a bit of shameless self-promotion? Very quickly, please. 
Okay, uh, my name is Sean Carrick. I'm a massage therapist. I work at a place called Rose Spring Center for the Healing Arts. Yes. If somebody uh, does, if somebody calls in and schedules a massage with me and mentions your show, I will give them half off. Oh, that's awesome! All right, thank you, sir. Yeah. RoseSpringCenter.com. All right, got to run. Thanks. <laughs> that was nice of you. All right. Oh, I forgot to... Uh, Rick, today, uh, this is from uh, Jen. Uh, today marks the 30th anniversary of one of our troublemakers. We're all listeners. If you would mention a happy birthday to Rush Street on the air, I think it would make his friggin' week. Well, there you go. Happy birthday, Rush Street. Happy birthday, Rush. All right. Best show ever. Thank you. Uh, we're going to see a radio correspondent, uh, Lisa Desjardins and James Roop, as well as Soledad O'Brien, who talked to me. Oh. Uh, join us tomorrow when our guests will include Dawn Taylor from Film.com. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day with the lovely and talented Sarah Stone for AM 970. The Talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley in the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Dawn, F with me, Reynolds, like us next. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye now. Bye. 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 Bye.